we were doing our RPG chat the other day, and Kat posted a, uh, a a gif directly to me, and it was it was people complaining about uh, you know mumble rap isn't music. Also, the same people, and then it's a guy like singing, like mumbling the words to Yellow Leadbetter, and I'm like, hey, Kat, damn it. <laughs> I don't have anything for this because you're exactly right. <laughs> like, hey, I'm in this picture and I don't like it. It's like, hey, I, I don't have anything for this. Welcome to Preferred Enemies, the Warhammer 40k podcast that isn't quite ready to embrace Nurgle yet. I'm your host, Rob. Kevin. Dennis. And Richard. And yes, if uh, you're guessing, that means today we are going to be looking at the brand new Death Guard Codex, which uh, just hit uh, shelves, I think, yesterday. Yep, so, yesterday. Yep, as of recording date. So uh, it is it is fresh, it is new, it is available and uh, we're going to be taking our look at what's changed for uh, Mortarian's Legion. But uh, first, as always, news, new releases, and your listener mail. And uh, yesterday, we also had a new uh, preview drop from you know, their, one of their Twitch previews. And it actually had only a little bit of 40k stuff. I mean, there was some... Uh, there's some Adeptus Titanicus with the new Warmaster Titan, which is like, yes, it's huge, yeah. but it's at Titanicus scale, but it's bigger than a, or, or yeah, it's, it's bigger than a Warlord. Yeah, it's, it's effectively an Imperial Knight scale model in Titanicus scale, which yeah. is pretty awesome. Right. They released that really cool, like, uh, size model, and it, it's, it is effectively head and shoulders bigger than a Warlord Titan. Yeah, it is not tiny at all. Um, and then a lot. there's a lot of uh, Age of Sigmar and Age of Sigmar adjacent stuff, uh, which we won't really get into right now other than me complaining that I'm going to have to buy another Daughters of Cain battle tome. Uh, I do want to point out that that Warhammer Quest uh, Cursed City stuff, everything they've shown for that looks amazing. And like I'm really digging the Warhammer Quest stuff, and I hope they do another... 40k Blackstone Fortress type one uh, soon, which I know they will because it was a smashing success. But this uh, Warhammer Quest Curse City, everything I've seen about it so far looks amazing. I, I have a feeling we'll see it kind of follow the same model where there'll be like two years of releases for this one and then mm -hmm. probably alternate back to 40k. Yeah. So uh, and, and the models look phenomenal. That Vampire Hunter is just yeah. awesome. He's he's going to become an inquisitor for me. <laughs> I've I've got ideas on how to make him a how to make him an Ordozine uh, a witch hunter. Uh, yeah, inquisitor because like yeah. that's yeah. the world's easiest conversion right there. <laughs> right. <laughs> but forty uh, k wise, there were two things of note. First of all, we've got a confirmation that we're getting new sisters models beyond just the Palantine. Uh, we are getting the new uh, pair. Paragon Warsuit, or the Death Knight for her. The Dread Nun. 
<laughs> yeah, I, I liked the dread nun statement. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I know the design has been divisive online. I've seen a lot of people who are just, they absolutely hate it. They didn't like it with the dread knight. They don't like it now. However, See, I would also argue how many of these people really liked the scene in Aliens where she fights the queen in a power loader because it's the same idea. Yeah. So I'll, I'll say I still don't like the Dread Knight, but the Dread Nun, I do like the look of that one. Yeah, I think this one is certainly a, a better version of the Dread Knight. Like, I, I think this looks more like a natural fit. I kind of like the fact that, like, with the shoulder pads and the general design, it kind of looks like a, a an armature. Like, it kind of follows <laughs> that design aesthetic. Like It kind of does, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I like the little gothic thing above the shoulders is what I like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, the thing, and we talked about this a little bit before we started recording. I have, like, one major issue with this. Or, t- I guess, two major issues with this suit. I would love it a lot more if Penitent Engines didn't exist. Because it kind of feels like it's... A, a weird like dual role thing like it it kind of serves the same purpose which I'm not 100% sure and I haven't seen the rules and stuff but it it feels like it kind of invades that design aesthetic area of the Penitent engine and this is maybe the one time I will ever say this I wish this design was a little more ostentatious like in the preview video they show this mural like stained glass mural of it and it has like these gigantic wings coming off the back and I'm like Oh, if it had that, I'd be all in on this model. Like, if it was more over the top. It it feels a little subdued for what it is. <laughs> this is too restrained for 40K. Right. Yeah, it, it's it's a weird thing to say, but it kind of feel like it feels like it's just a upscale sister of battle. And, like, that's fine, but I kind of wish it was a little bit more. <laughs> Kevin, maybe that'll be an upgrade where you can take the normal Demon Lord and then put wings on it for 50 points. Right, I mean, like, Dreadnought? It, well, it's one of those things where, like, I don't even need it to fly. I just think the wings coming off the back, like, in the in the video were really cool looking. So, like, having – I don't know. It just – it feels like it needed, like – it needs, like, one more, like, design aesthetic. So it's not that I hate it. I just uh, – yeah, I kind of wish it looked a little more 40K. <laughs> I don't know. I just wish I didn't like the look of it because this is another thing of saying, hey, you want another army? I'm like, I kind of do, but not really. <laughs> so so I, I just I was just thinking while you're talking, I'm like, you know, I, I, I say that like people who don't like this design obviously like the you know, but they also like the scene in Aliens. But then I think, well, what came out more recently that had a similar aesthetic, you know, more recently than Aliens, which is, you know, since 1986. And I'm thinking, oh, no, wait, everyone th- sees this and just thinks Matrix Revolutions. And I'm like, oh, okay, I get it now. <laughs> yeah, well. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah. 86 was a couple years ago, Rob. Yeah, one or two, yeah. I mean, Matrix right. Revolutions was like yeah. 17, 18 years ago. So yeah, I say like, Matrix Revolutions is almost old enough to vote. Um, so, so, <laughs> so, so we need a more like, recent thing, Rob. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, I hate to break well, it to you. But well, yeah. well I, what I'm saying is that that, d- that design old? has – Well, that too, that too. But I'm also saying that design has poisoned the well for so long that nobody wants to go back to it. Yeah, I could see that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh no, I, I I I dig it. I don't 
like it i don't look at it and be like oh that's the coolest thing ever but i look at it and i'm like i don't hate it i think i it works and it i think it's a better iteration of the design than yes. the dread knight because she's not just out there like strapped with her legs hanging out and everything she you know it's like she's fully encased other than like her arms and her head and they do have versions that have helmets so like if you yeah. don't want her with her with like her head clearly her face visible you can have her wear a lid so I first saw this because I didn't watch the preview live. I, I first saw this like on Facebook when someone posted the image. And just from the static image, I don't really like it. But once you saw like the video, the reveal video, and you saw some of the other weapon options and more angles of it, I, I definitely am more on board with the model. But yeah, I didn't I my initial reaction when I first saw the still was like, oh, that's that's a design choice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh it does they do seem to have a, a nice variety of weapons. I mean, we've got the holy trinity of heavy bolter, multi melter and heavy flamer available. Uh one option looks to have missile racks on the shoulders. I'm not quite sure what the 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 one pictured on the website has as the shoulder weapons. I think they're more melta guns. It's what it looks I, like, I, yeah. Yeah, so I mean and then they have options with like big power swords and big power maces. So um, I'm curious to see what the rules are going to be like on this. But they also hinted at the end of the description that where they're just getting started for Adeptus Oritas 2021, your faith will be rewarded even further, which tells me we're getting a new box and a full expanded model line beyond just what they like. We had the straight up replacements and upgrades of old models. Now we're now they're expanding the line. Yeah, and, and I believe that we talked about it when that sister's box came out, that we were slightly disappointed that there were no, like, new units or new models. Right. And I think this is the opportunity for them to, like, expand out the model line and fully build the army out. Because there's still, as is, there's still a few areas within Sisters of Battle that they feel very thin, almost like they weren't updated for 20 years. Um <laughs> And uh, no, I know it's what game company would do that. What game company would neglect an army for 20 years, uh, which we'll talk about in the uh, listener mail coming up. But uh, that's a separate thing. Um, <laughs> um, but like it, it, there's definitely areas where they could flesh out this faction more. So I'm excited to see what they do. Like, will they get another troop option? Will they get some form of, you know, another assault option? Yeah, like there's there's a lot of opportunities and areas where they can take this army to to flesh it out more. So I'm excited mm -hmm. to see it. Yeah, I'm just, I'm curious to see where they go with this. And then the other thing is we get a new kill team box. We knew this was coming. Pariah Nexus. Uh, it is Space Marines versus Necrons, obviously, uh, and it's also where we get to see the first appearance of a number of uh, plastic kits that have been teased and shown a number of times last year. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, yeah, we're getting the Space Marine Captain, the Heavy Intercessors, a, the Necron Chronomancer, and finally the Plastic Flayed Ones. Yeah, I, I'm excited for all of this. Um, the Heavy Intercessors are obviously something that I know a lot of people have been waiting on uh, because they're really good. Three wound Space Marines with, uh, you know, with lots of bolt gun options, you know, with bolter options. And then flayed ones are just one of my favorite Necron units. Yeah, so I'm I'm excited for this. And then also like the the there's some cool like scattered terrain like doors and little power generator stuff. And then then the uh, the game board for this for Kill Team. There's a Kill Team rule book. 
you know, all of the stuff to play like right out of the box. Like I'm because this, you know, with it being in the Prion Nexus, there, this is basically an interior like you're fighting in a Necron tomb. So it's kind of an interesting, uh, different feel for Kill Team. Like I think they mentioned in the preview, it's it feels a lot more like uh, Kill Team Arena than like a regular Kill Team game. Where like, yeah, it was that was in yeah that that was the the first thing that came to me. that or Kill Team Rogue Trader. It also has yeah. that same kind of vibe. Yeah, where you're just in a more confined space and like you know you, you don't you don't have to you can't just really set back and like cover the field and shoot you have to move forward because there's so many obstacles and it's so close quarter so uh i'm excited like i haven't really had a chance to play the new version of kill team very much because i think i've played one game of 40k in the last year <laughs> so you know <laughs> but um yeah it's almost like there's something going on that would prevent me from being able to meet up with people to play but uh I- i'm looking forward to this box like this is I look at this and I'm like, yes, I want everything in this box. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it it looks good. It looks good. And I think, I mean, other than that, the most of the releases have been either Age of Sigmar related or, um, you know, Death Guard, which came out this week. We are going to be getting the new uh, Blade Guard Veterans multi-part kit by the end of the month. They they have yep. told us that, and that kit looks great. Like the the option, I think, with the one guy they showed with the storm shield, like on his back, was was really cool. <laughs> mm-hmm. And other than that, we've seen we've been getting uh, hiles on kangaroos because, of course, we were. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they're. I love the high elves, and man, they are really testing my patience with the new designs. I'm like, man, I. You know, I only bring it up because it messes with you. It's, no, I get it. I get it. It's just one of those. Where like, I'm like, I love this army. Like, I've, I love, I've had like an old school like high elf army, and I'm like, I want to play this in Sigmar, but I also don't like the design of like half. It's one of those where like. The design for the new Lumineth Realm Lords is neatly divided in half. Half of the models are flipping amazing, and the other half look like garbage to me. <laughs> so it's like, I... <laughs> uh... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is a test specifically for you. It really is. It really is. <laughs> But as for something not specifically for you, we're going to switch over to listener mail, because this is for all of us. And uh, if you have a letter you want us to read on the air, we'll tell you how at the end of the segment. Uh, This episode, we only have one letter, so people get those letters in. And especially remember that coming up in three months, in April, we are going to hit our 10-year anniversary. And I'd like to do something special. So if people want to uh, write in sp- any anything they specially want to have on that episode, we'll even take audio clips. If you want to send us audio clips, we can integrate them into the show. So I'm just going to get that out there. And we'll tell you how you can send those things to us at the end of the segment. Uh, so this letter is from Robert Chumsey, who's written to us before. Robert writes, hey, guys, I hope everyone is doing well. It's been a while, almost a year, since I last wrote in and wanted to give an update and ask a few questions. Last time I wrote in, I asked how to make games more fun between me and my friend Rick. We talked about some of your advice and both came to the conclusion that we both like 40K, but we focus on two different aspects of it. He loves to paint models and I love to play games. 
I decided to step away from Death Guard for a time and threw all my effort into working on my Tau, making sure I was... I gave as much effort into painting and basing as he did, and it awoke a deep passion for custom paint schemes and storytelling I'd never personally associated with Warhammer. I spent the next five months just building and painting, November through March, and building a story for my Tau. Unfortunately, the pandemic has put a stop to us trying to find groups to play with, but his roommate, who is a mutual friend, split an Indominus box with Rick, so we have a third player for our small group. From March on, we have played a few games and were more of a fan of the smaller point games in 9th edition. I've worked more on my Tau, nearly finishing my backlog, I just have Shadow Sun left, and I even went back and stripped my Death Guard. I'd originally painted them out of the book green, and once I went ham on my Tau, I really needed to change things up. I ended up painting them a dirty brass and doing a lot of detail work with oxide effects on them. So that sounds awesome. And getting, you know, taking the chance to go back and Death Guards are one of those armies. Yeah, you can strip and repaint. And if there's a little bit of like grit or residue left behind from like old paint jobs, eh, who will, who can tell? It's Death Guard. <laughs> okay. Now onto the questions. Two quick ones. Number one, the Riptide looks awesome, but it seems to become a meme within the Warhammer community. And I'm hesitant to get one because of this. Do you think a viable and effective army can be built without them? Uh, two, I guess this kind of fits in with the first questions. Do you think the GW will ever not make the Tau a meme, or do you think they might try to phase out the army before that? Thanks again. Keep up the good work and stay safe, Robert. So, um, I am going to say, I think a- as of right now, you may have be- made a bad choice by abandoning your Death Guard for Tau. Yeah. <laughs> So the the question to me is not, can you build an effective Tau army without Riptides? The question is more, can you build an effective Tau army with Riptides? Because <laughs> I don't think the answer to either question is yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, I don't... I don't I don't think there's anything wrong with taking a Riptide. You can build yeah. a, f- a a functional feasible list with one, and I don't mean functional feasible and like I guess it'll work, but more in the context of yeah, like anything with Tau is going to work right now. Yeah. Um, uh, that said, I would not avoid taking a unit because oh it's a meme it's overplayed everybody uses it. If you like the look of the unit and you think it'd be cool to run, go for it. Like, don't let that be a thing that stops you. Yeah, especially if you're playing Tau right now. Like, as I kind of mentioned, like, nothing's really going to work super well. So take the models you want to take. Like, at this point, if you want to take Vespid and, like, load up on Kroot because you like the ideal of the alien auxiliaries, go for it. You're going to lose games anyway. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Ouch. (laughs) He's not wrong. Tower garbage Yeah, but still, ouch. (laughs) I mean, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, the Tau, like I said, the Riptide, it's not a bad unit by any means. It's just a a unit that's stuck in a bad army right now. And uh, you can totally play viable lists without them. Uh, most of the lists that are running uh, like Farsight Enclaves are not using them. You're seeing more crisis suits, breachers. Uh, you're even seeing piranhas being used. Um, so it's like you can, but then you can also run lists with them, and they're they're fine. Uh, they are one of the more resilient things you do have access to, but it is going to draw a lot of fire. And with the point increases on taking units of shield drones separately. 
Um, you're going to be limited in how much you can protect it, but it's, it's fine. It's a fine choice. Uh, you can build lists without them that will be fine. You can build lists with them that will be fine. Yeah. The, the idea of the Riptide being a meme is kind of an outdated, like it, it's kind of going back to the days of seventh edition where Riptide, like triple Riptide wing was a thing that was everywhere. And there were a lot of dual Riptide lists for Tau in 8th edition because it was one of the, like, it was a it was a pretty good unit at the time. The new edition has not been kind to Tau in general, so it's, it's a big chunk of points for something that may not help you with the way missions are playing right now. But it's not a yeah. bad choice. As to the second question, uh, will GW ever na- make, ever not make Tau a meme? Or and do you think they might try to phase out the army? I don't think they're going to phase out the army. I, I that that I'll just say right now. By as far as Tau being a meme, Tau's been a meme since its launch back in the, in like right late third edition. Well, because it's always been it's always been the new you know this new army that wasn't you know originally quote unquote in forty k because it's to this date it's still like the newest addition to the lore. So there's always a little bit of like meme status because people are like, oh, it's just, you know, a you know, a, it's a waifu army, which, you know, whatever. Um, so like that, that's part of it is that it, it, they're so, um, I don't want to say incongruent, but like they're so different within the world of 40k with the rest of the grimdark nature of the universe that they kind of stick out a little bit and they've always kind of been a little bit of a meme. I think they're a great army. I love the way they play. Um, I just wish the, the game, like they, I just wish they weren't so bad right now. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's interesting how like we used, we used to argue very strongly that, Hey, 40 K is a space game with guns. And so the shooting armies are always going to be very powerful and they've managed to change up the the rule set, both in the fact that uh, boards are smaller, that assaults seem to happen faster, assault rules are a little bit better, uh, cover is more useful, which is you know helps tone down shooting armies, and that other than being able to shoot and not shoot with amazing accuracy, I mean they're passable accuracy, but like. Tau guns have range and slightly better strength than a lot of games. That's not enough anymore. Uh, armies tend to yeah. be tend to lean on survivability now, and that's something Tau doesn't have. I mean, they have survivable models. Like crisis suits are decently tough, but you can only get so many of them in a unit, and they get expensive fast. And they'll become <laughs> bullet magnets, and your infantry is not going to win any contests anytime soon. Yeah, they're they're in a difficult spot because they they play a lot like guard, but you don't have nearly the numbers that guard have. Like you right. can't you can't just flood the unit with, you know, flood the table with guns. If you flood the table with like survivable units, then you're getting it, then it becomes kind of like a term an all terminator army where you're getting like 20 crisis suits and that's like it and you're very small and you're you're not nearly as maneuverable as you used to be um in previous editions where you could jump shoot jump 20 crisis suits could control the entire board because they could just move everywhere but 
now you're you're far more limited in your maneuverability. Your survivability isn't there, and you're more expensive guard at this point. Your tower always going to be garbage in close combat, and kind of I kind of think they should always be garbage in close combat because that's kind of their thing. Um, but you know, it's right now they don't have, as you mentioned, like they they don't have the survivability the firepower or the maneuverability to be an effective army right now. And something has to change when they get their next update. Yeah. Cause like you look at some of the other armies that are doing really well, like Harlequins are doing really well. And we've always talked about how Harlequins are a glass blender of an army. They're very mm-hmm. fragile, but they're maneuverable and they have like the, the invulnerable saves they have help quite a bit. They can move through terrain very easily, which helps in a more cluttered board. Uh, so they can camp on, they can get to objectives very quickly. And th- once they close, they can really take you apart. And they also have psychic support, which is something else that Tau doesn't have. And Tau's always mm-hmm. been in that issue where they're effectively not playing two phases of the game because they're not playing assault generally. They're not playing the psychic phase. So they have to make up for it in moving and shooting. And yeah. they've lost the mobility they used to have in older editions. And that's one place where, like, Eldar, for example, Eldar's not burning up the charts or anything, but Eldar's and, and various varieties of Eldar are doing decently well because they do have the speed, they do have the psychic support, and they can go either shooty or salty and and be functional in both of those. Yeah. So it, it's... I'm interested to see what they do to fix it, like what they do with their next codex when when they get their next update. Um, I, I think we're long past the point where GW is, GW will never officially like fully retire a faction because there's too many people that play it. Like there's too many people that play Tau and have spent way too much money that I don't want to think about how much I've spent on my Tau army. Um, Hey, you you still don't have your Manta yet. You know what? You shut your mouth. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Dennis, Dennis lives where you can get one now. I don't need you to tell me that um (laughs) (laughs) remember that one that we saw at uh that first lvo we went to with all the lights and everything you know you want one Uh, i i yeah i want one i have no (laughs) ability to like do that to it but anyway um (laughs) well and also the phoenix weather would melt it oh that is also true (laughs) but uh no, like I, I, I think GW is past the point where they're gonna where they're not retiring any armies unless they're gonna make like a huge big thing out of it. But I, I don't expect that'll happen with if it if it happens to any army, it won't be Tau. Because they're the up and coming army in the story. If anything, they're going to get bigger and more powerful as the story moves forward. But I, I don't think any army's getting retired or resigned. Um or phased. Some out of them just at, have at to point. Yeah, some of them just have to sit in the back seat while others get the spotlight. That's that's the thing. Like with, I think it's uh, twenty factions effectively at this point. Like not counting sub factions, but like twenty core like factions in the game. It's there's always going to be a bottom tier army. Um, Necrons were bottom tier for all of Eighth Edition, and then now they're they've got the tools to be competitive in this edition. So. It'll happen for Tau. They'll come back around and they'll cycle back up to the top. But uh, it it may be a while. There's there's other armies that have to be updated. Because the one thing I'll say about Tau, aside from a few characters and like the alien auxiliaries, everything's in plastic. 
most of the models are new and updated. Like there's no real opportunity to go in and be like, we're going to do a new fire warrior kit or something like that. Or, you know, they did new crisis suits recently. So I don't expect that they have like a need to go in and update the army outside of like a codex release. And as there's other armies like Eldar or, you know, actually Eldar is the one I'm thinking of, but like Eldar Inquisition or something like that, where like, where there are, there is a desperate need for models to be updated. And I fully expect those factions will get hit first with new models and a new, new codex um, before they get back around to Tau. Maybe I'm wrong, but I, I I, I see that. I I don't see the tower like high on the pipeline at this point. I I think at this point we just need to see what a a change in design philosophy for Tau that works with the new edition. And it's just they're they're in that space where a lot of like old armies were for a long time, where the codex was written for a different set of assumptions than currently works. And we saw a lot of armies. I mean, sisters were in that position for a very long time, and they kept trying to do updates that never quite worked. Right. And dark, you know, they dark finally learned fifth and sixth. Oh yeah. Yeah. And you know, getting to your point earlier about armies that hadn't been updated in 20 years. And I don't think tower going to have to wait that long, obviously, but I, I imagine we'll see an updated tower codex either by year's end or early next year. Again, we have to see what uh, the co- ongoing COVID pandemic does to their uh, mm-hmm. release schedule because they may have had plans to have Tau out by end of year, but you know, things are getting slowed down. It happens, but, and we may also see like errata released that, you know, maybe they can yeah. do kind of a mid, you know, a mid release cycle patch to, to Tau to fix them up. We, we have, you know, it remains to be seen. Maybe it'll be in a campaign book gets them updated into a playable format. Yeah, I mean, but, we're, we're in a we're in a place where they do have options on how to upgrade them and how to how to fix some of the army issues, but it is definitely a rules mechanical issue with Tau rather than like we need to patch this army or update it from a design aesthetic, which makes me think that they will probably be further back in line against you know some of these other because like there's Admech, which has a whole bunch of new stuff that isn't in their codex. Um, there's, you know, new sister stuff coming. There's, you know, a Dark Angels Codex come out there somewhere. So, like, there's things like that that have to be done first. Um, and and I think you're more likely, like you said, to see a, a, a mid-Codex patch, like rules patch for Tau, that tries to upgrade their power. But, yeah, it's, uh, they're not in a great spot. But at the same time, if you're not playing competitively, they're still a really fun army to play. Like, I love playing my Tau. Um, they're just they're just not good right now. <laughs> well, I'd like to see like all the armies that were touched on in both Greater Good and like Blood of Ball get updated because like in Blood of Ball, Nids got some much needed updates and options that I mean yeah. are technically still there, but again, they're designed and they should have been designed for Ninth Edition, from what we understand. But we need to see the Codex updated to release you know to reflect that we mm-hmm. need that for gene stealer cults we need it for guard guard and guards another army that has some old infantry models that could probably stand to be revised too so yeah guard re- guard like, really need another uh infantry like core infantry regiment model because the catechin models are fine they're long in the tooth 
Um, oh, no, not the Katachin. Yeah, the Kadian models are fine. The Katachin models are, are not. They're definitely showing their age. <laughs> so yeah. I think that they definitely need to get, like, a new core infantry model for, for guard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, like, all of these armies, and some, some of them, they, they may function fine, but they just need to be updated to fit the newer design philosophy. And they're just, you know, they're not there yet. They're going to catch up to them. I mean, we're going to, I think after, like, with Death Guard, and then especially once we see the Drukhari update, I think we'll have a, a much more cohesive idea of where they're going, because at that point we'll have had a Chaos Codex, we'll have had a couple of Xenos Codexes and a number of Imperium Codexes, and we'll be able to really form a picture around what the design aesthetic and philosophy mm-hmm. is for this edition, where they, how they want armies to play. And I think when we when we talk about Death Guard, you can really see that they're they're really trying to get you to play Death Guard the way they picture Death Guard functioning in the lore. So I think. Yeah. We'll see that, and we should see that with Tau, but it may be a while. So, um, I don't. So, to answer your question, Robert, I don't think Tau are going to get squatted anytime soon. Uh, but they are going to be kind of in the wilderness for a while uh, until they get an, a, a new codex or some other form of patching to bring their rules up to snuff. Until then, I might recommend playing your Death Guard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And if you have a letter you want to send us, whether it's for the regular letter section or you want to send us something special for episode 100 or if you want to send us, like I said, audio clips will also be acceptable. Well, not episode 100, our 10th anniversary. We're way past 100. <laughs> We're at two, this is episode 231. We're way – yeah, I will, I will cut you into the past episodes from years ago. <laughs> um, but uh, – yeah, if you want to get that to us, there are three good ways to uh, to get us questions. Uh, first is our email addresses. We are at our first names at preferred enemies. So Rob at Kevin at Dennis at Richard at preferred enemies dot com. Uh, second is on Facebook. We are at Facebook dot com slash preferred enemies. Uh, you can like us there, follow us and get updates on when shows are coming out, things we're working on, uh, our takes on news and new releases, things like that. Third is on Twitter. We are Twitter dot com slash preferred enemy singular. And we take uh, questions and comments from all those sources, throw them into the opera and get through as many as we can in an, in an episode. And uh, right now, the hopper is empty. So if you want your letter read on the next episode, now is the time to get it in. Uh, also, uh, we do have a Patreon. It's at patreon.com slash preferred enemies. Uh, it's just an online tip jar. But if you have the money to support us, we'd much rather you put those funds towards uh, – Charities in your area, whether they be food banks, uh, homeless shelters, uh, rent assistance funds, things like that, uh, because those, that's the people that need support right now more than anything. But if after giving, you still want to support us a little bit, uh, you can go there. Like I said, online tip jar. You can give as little as a dollar a month. And while we don't lock any of our content behind a paywall, we do really appreciate the support. Helps pay for our hosting, our recording services, uh, keeping our mics fully functional and uh if enough people throw in a dollar it adds up and it really does help out and eventually we will be able to travel again and that fund is also used to help pay for travel expenses to go to events so we can provide coverage and let you know how things are going for those people who can't get to those events so we're going to take a quick break for sponsor identification and when we come back we're going to take our look at the new death guard codex see you in a bit Miniatures. We build them, we paint them, we love them. 
That's why we also want to get them to the battle and back again safely. And that's where Kara Multicase comes in. They offer a complete model storage and transport system. They offer a wide selection of core trays for standard size miniatures, as well as custom cut trays for specific models. KR's trays are made of a soft foam, available in a variety of colors, that won't scratch or snag your models. And to protect the foam, the trays are carried in easily stackable, swappable cardboard cases. They also offer a full range of Kaiser bags, backpacks, and aluminum cases for transporting your KR cases. You can even choose from pre-built tray selections to suit your army, or use the autofill app to find just the right trays for your particular force. Whatever your game, 40k, X-Wing, Warm Hordes, or Historicals, KR Multicase has the cases to fit your needs. You can find out more at krmulticase.com. KR Multicase, soft foam for your figures, hard cases for the soft foam. Are you tired of playing on a boring battlefield? Do you want to step up the quality of your gaming table and make your battle look real? Then you need to check out the battle mats from GameMat. Their professionally designed rubber-based mats are just what your gaming table needs. Available in a variety of styles, with everything from rolling grasslands to urban war zones, winter wastelands to alien deserts, there's a GameMat mat to fit any kind of terrain. Their mats are padded, anti-slip, waterproof, and when you're done rolling dice and battling on your mat, just roll it up and stick it in the convenient carrying bag for easy transport and storage. And if you don't have a gaming table, they've got you covered with their folding Gboard portable gaming area and their line of pre-painted resin terrain. If you're ready to upgrade your gaming table, head over to www.gamemat.eu and find the gaming mat that's right for you. Game Mat, giving your armies the battlefield they deserve. And we're back, and that means it's time for our main topic, which is our look at the new Death Guard Codex. Uh, Once again, uh, the 9th edition codexes have the slightly taller form factor, which lets you fit a little bit more on the page. Um, The cover art is beautiful, with Mortarian and all his boys. Yeah. Yep. And, And once again, the fluff section is relatively short. But uh, I I am really digging, like, all the art that they've been putting in these. Some of it's older stuff recycled. Like, I mean, page seven, they've got the uh, the old co- cover of what? The, was that the Lost and the Damned? From, yeah, like, Lost War- and the Damned. <laughs> yeah, from, like, the early, early days of Warhammer. But then the next page, they've got another awesome picture of Mortarian leading the Death Guard. And the combination of, of old and new art in this is, is amazing. Yeah. I mean, they're just they're, – they're really – knocking out of the park on presentation these days and anyone who is worried that uh, 40k is not grim dark enough in the in the new edition oh oh, don't worry don't worry <laughs> uh we get into the normal uh you know photos of minis section and then we'll get to the rules we're going to skip the chapter approved rules we'll kind of do those at the end because those are missions and i think the missions make like the secondary missions make more sense once you understand the rest of the army first mm-hmm. i'm i always find it odd that they drop these right at the beginning it's the one piece of organization i don't like because it doesn't really fit with everything else uh they do talk about the combat patrol though on page 38 and kevin you've done some analysis on the new combat patrol box yeah so continuing up on the um you know, the project that I've been doing with the combat patrols and the starter boxes, um, 
you know, I went through and I, I dropped it into Battlescribe, did the points, did the cost analysis, kind of figuring out where it roughly falls in, you know, on the scale. And honestly, like, you know, it, it definitely falls in the same area, especially as the other combat patrols and kind of in line with all of the other, like start collecting boxes, combat patrols, $140, you know, it, it, it contains, there's a few odd choices in it, but we'll kind of go through it. So it has a named character in, in, um, Typhus, uh, seven plague Marines, which is, yeah, seven's Nurgle's number. Okay. I was like, wait a minute yes. for a moment there. I'm like, is it six? No, it's seven. So like seven plague Marines. So that's thematically appropriate. It is the full, um, customizable plague Marine kit. So with, we'll get into the plague Marines, but like as before, there are boatloads of options. Like the, the codex page for plague Marines is an entire page of options. So I kitted them out the way that they did like in the picture. Uh, but that is, in no means the only way you can do it. You can kit them out anyway, combat, you know, with big uh, close combat weapons, you know, special weapons, uh, just regular bolters if you want to go a little bit cheaper with it. Um, and then 30 pox walkers. So the, the box is a good deal in that you get, you know, 39 models in this box. All of the other, um, you know, Space Marine patrols, so, you know, whether it's a direct comparison or not, you know, have 15 or 17 models in it. So from a sheer model count, you are getting a lot. The way that these models, you know, these units can be kitted out, um, you're getting about 32 power level or about 580 points worth of models, which is more than you've gotten in any of the other combat patrols. That can go up or down depending on how... um you kit out the you know plague marines because plague marines can be as cheap as twenty one points or as expensive as like forty points a model. So there there's really a lot of customization with those models. There's two issues that I have with this box though that I think it's a good deal and I, I would recommend anybody that wants to start out playing Death Guard pick it up. The two issues I have is with it being Typhus in the box, you really can't double up on this box because you then wind up with a named character that you can't really do anything with. I suppose you could convert him into a death shroud terminator, but the pose for Typhus is so different with him doing the jazz hands thing that I don't <laughs> think you could easily convert him into anything else. Like I, I, that's kind of like the one issue that I have is that it prevents you from doubling up on this. Um, unlike the space wolves or the death watch of the blood angels combat patrol, where it might be incredibly valuable to double up on those. The other thing, and we'll get into the rules on it, this is not a valid force orc um, or a valid combat patrol because poxwalkers only go to a unit of 20. And, you know, it, it, so you can have one unit of poxwalkers. You cannot have more poxwalker units than core infantry models or core infantry units. And you get one unit of plague marines and you cannot make it into two units. So you wind up having 10 poxwalkers in this box that you just can't do anything with. And you can't grow your poxwalker unit larger than the starting size. So really those 10 poxwalkers are just kind of there. I don't know. That's, that's a choice they made that I'm not a hundred percent on board with. I think I would rather have had them add three more Plague Marines 
So you get a full 10-man unit of Plague Marines and 20 Poxwalkers instead of 30. That way you could divide them up into one unit of 10 Plague Marines, one unit of 20 Poxwalkers, or you could go the other route and go two units of five, two units of 10. And then it would both, under both methods, it would be a valid force org. As of right now, if you buy this box, pull it off the shelf, assemble it the way it's shown, you have 10 models you can't do anything with. And that's the, that's problematic. Agreed. <laughs> I also know that nobody is going to just buy this by itself. Like you're going to use this to expand and having extra pox walkers is always good. So like, it's still a good value, but I don't think it's not a great value in that you can't really double up on it because you wind up with models you can't really use. And it's not a great value to start out with because you wind up with models that you can't use. So it's like, I I like the box, but I don't like it as a starter, as like a starter box. Like it's, it's more of a round out your, your, your army box, which I don't know. Like I said, I guess there's, a, there's a, a space for that. And especially with some of the other releases that are being done, like they're releasing the, uh, uh, the three set of like the HQs that were in dark Imperium, and like there's obviously there's the single plague marine um space marine like collectible minis like the the blind box minis so you could pretty cheaply build out like three more plague marines and add more HQs to be able to run a larger force with this but as as of itself out of the box you can't really use it which is a little bit disappointing yeah it it it's an obvious oversight when you're just like, oh, yeah, this should be a legalist, but the rules specifically, and I guess it doesn't, okay, like the limitation on Poxwalkers, and we're get, we'll get to that in a second, does only affect Battleforged, which admittedly, like everybody plays Battleforged, but right. if you're just getting started, you might not realize that. It is It is a bad look, though, to offer an army that somebody is going to, they're going to have models that they think they can use, and then they're going to find out they can't. It'll leave a sour taste in somebody's mouth. Yeah, and I guess I I just think a better a better design choice would have been to include three more plague marines and take out ten poxwalkers and like maybe it wouldn't be as good a value monetarily because you're you're then would be only be getting twenty yeah twenty nine models or I guess thirty thirty one models or whatever um, instead of you know almost forty but you wound up with actual valid force org and like that seems like it's more important to me, but yeah. <laughs> um, so, so getting to the reasons why this, this list is not legal, we're going to get into detachment abilities and then we're going to jump ahead. So that's on page 40. And then we're going to jump ahead to, to the data sheet section briefly, because well, I want to talk about all the army abilities first, because that it is very important to understand all this. So you understand how this unit functions and what, or how this army functions and why these particular abilities that certain individual units are going to have and like strats and things like that are going to play off of that. So first detachment abilities, we'll get into, let's look at army building. If your army's uh, battle forge, uh, you gain the Diseased Minions, Infernal Jealousy, and Fetid Virion abilities, which get into what units you can take. Bubonic Astartes units, uh, which is most of your, like, infantry. In Death Guard Detachments gain Inexorable Advance. And Plague Marines and Poxwalkers get Objective Secured. Cultists do not. So, while you can take Cultists in this army, there's very little incentive to do so. Yeah. Other than the fact that 
well, we'll get into the rules, but there are things that cultists can do that poxwalkers can't, but cultists still aren't a great choice either way. I I like what they did with the design of this, and you know, and we'll get into it with some of like the disease minion rules, but there there is a there is a niche for cultists, but it's more alongside poxwalkers and uh, plague marines, you know, bubonic marines. So it's it's interesting. It's an interesting design choice. Yeah. But it definitely they are shaping how they want you to build this army mm-hmm. and and to make it like lore consistent and not just spam units. So the first off that diseased minions rule, you cannot include more plague follower units, which the only one is cultists, than bubonic Astartes core infantry units in each death guard detachment in your army. And then you cannot include more Poxwalker units than Bubonic Astartes Core Infantry units in each Death Guard detachment in your army. So, for example, if a detachment includes two Plague Marine units and a Blightlord Terminator unit, you can include up to three Cultists and up to three Poxwalker units. And that's See, and in the that's army, w- not just in the detachment. Yeah. And that's where I like the uh, the separation of the Cultists and the Poxwalkers. They kind of want you to be rounded, not just double down and taking typhus and six units of poxwalkers and nothing else but like if you want to get some of those like extra bodies which are kind of important in this army because it is a very expensive like elite army you have to like mix between cultists and poxwalkers which do different things you know in, in the army so if you decide to go that route you have to kind of split your focus um which i think lends itself more to causing you to put more plague marines in your plague marine army which is a novel concept. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Go fig. Um, Infernal Jealousy. This one I found very interesting because this does put some strong limits on what you can, how you can build out your HQ slots. You can include a maximum of one Lord of the Death Guard unit in each Death Guard detachment in your army, and you can include a maximum of one Demon Prince unit in each Death Guard detachment in your army. Now, fun fact, the Demon Prince in here has both of those rules, so he cannot coexist with another Lord. Oh, I don't think I realized it, that. I thought he only. Yeah, I didn't think he. I didn't realize he had the Lord of the Death card rule. He yes, he sure does. Lord of the hmm. De- monster character, psyker demon, bubonic Astartes, Lord of the Death Guard, demon prince. Yeah. <laughs> so basically, the idea is death Death Guard leaders do not want to share power. Now that is per detachment, not per army. So you can have both. You just have to build your army out with multiple detachments. Uh, the Fetid Virian rule, uh, you can include up to three Fetid Virian units, which in general is like all the elite units that are like buff characters. So like the Foul Blight Spawn, the Biologus Putrefier, the Plague Surge, and the Tallyman all fall. And I think the, even the Noxious Blight Collar, they fall mm-hmm. into that uh, like assistant elite range. Uh, you can have three of those in a single slot. Uh, which the goal there is to open up your elite slots for Terminators. And that that's yeah. really where they want you to go with that. And then finally, inexorable advance. This unit counts as having remained stationary if it did not fall back or advance in the previous movement phase. If it's a vehicle, it does not suffer the penalty incurred to its hit rolls for firing heavy weapons at units that are within engagement range of it. And if it's infantry, it can ignore any or all modifiers to its move characteristic, advance rolls, and charge rolls. So, because any or all, if you get a buff to your movement, you can still have that chain, that modifier, but if somebody tries to apply a penalty, or if a piece of terrain applies a, a penalty, you ignore that, if you yeah. want. So, 
And uh, that's that's huge. Like that allows your that allows you to be able to take, like as we mentioned earlier with Plague Marines, you have all sorts of like heavy weapon options. You can now just basically take those and not have any restrictions. Um, and that's that's huge. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so now I'm going to jump ahead to page 60, where we talk about data sheets, because this has the other abilities for the army. And these, these are the ones that you tend to see, again, on the individual data sheets and aren't applied via detachment, because not all units have these. Most of them do. Uh, we know plague weapon, uh, reroll wound rolls of one. Very big in this army. There's lots of plague weapons. There are things that have synergy with plague weapons. Um, you're going to want to run as many of these as you can, honestly. Uh, yeah. And especially like the melee plague weapons are really solid. Um, remorseless. Uh, every time a combat attrition test is taken for this unit, ignore any or all modifiers. You are not likely to have people run away because of morale. Yeah. Uh, malicious volleys. This is their uh, bolter drill equivalent. And then finally, disgustingly resilient. This one ha- is the big change. We've talked about this in past episodes. Um, Goonhammer's actually done uh, an article on the math on how this changes up the army. Disgustingly resilient is no longer a feel no pain. It is instead you ignore you lower the damage of all attacks against a disgustingly resilient by one to a minimum of one. So uh, if a weapon comes in with damage two, you're only taking one if the unit's disgustingly resilient. And because everybody in this army has pretty much had their their number of wounds upped by one, that can actually have an effect in slowing down how useful, uh, like, small arms fire and such, and in large arms fire, like or mid-range fire, like the, the stuff that you would normally mm-hmm. use to take out, like, normal Marines or, you know, that now that they're all two wounds each, don't work as well against Death Guard. It makes sense. And because a lot of Death Guard is tough five or higher, even, like, small arms fire is going to have trouble working with it, but it won't trigger disgustingly resilient necessarily. So gone are the days when you can just have like with a bunch of lucky rolls, have a model like tank ridiculous number of shots, <laughs> which I remember from that game that you and Nathan played at LVO, <laughs> you had some stuff that just like would not die. Well, um, I, I the very, f- that game was also amazing because I had a bunch of stuff that didn't, just would not die. But the first round of that LVO, I faced another Death Guard player. And I want to say it was round three before either of us lost a full unit. Jeez. Because we were just pounding on each other, but we all had disgustingly resilient. We kept making saves. So, yeah. I, I like this change. Um, I don't know if it's better, or, you know, me- mechanically if it's better or not than the, you know, the feel no pain roll. But I do know that it's going to be a lot faster game wise, so I, I'm I'm okay with that change. It, yeah, it's it speeds up the game and it it tones down that aspect of Death Guard. But they've got enough other things going on that I don't think the army is going to feel the loss, especially now with the focus on taking Plague Marines and Terminators because they're going to be very resilient units. So losing the the feel no pain on that won't be as big a deal. Well, and the other thing I like, too, is that by toning it down just a little bit, you can now, like, apply it to your small, you know, your your vehicle units, like the Malefic Blight Haulers, the Bloat Drones, the Plague Burst Crawlers, all now have Disgustingly Resilient, and it doesn't feel like it's this super overpowered, like, extra save that you have for your vehicles now. It's just, no, you have to hit it with larger weapons, uh, which which feels right. Right. 
Um, and then we've got the Contagions of Nurgle ability. And Contagions, there's actually two things contained here. And it seems like they're related, and they are, but there's other things that key off of this. And we'll get to that in a second. So the Contagions of Nurgle ability, basically, if every unit in your army is Death Guard, uh, excluding unaligned units. So this is basically like their equivalent of like the super combat doctrine that like Space Marines have. So like if everybody in your army is Blood Angels, you have like Savage Assault type thing. Um, you have Nurgle's Gift. Nurgle's Gift, Contagion. It has the Contagion. The ability has the Contagion trait. While an enemy unit is within Contagion range of this unit, see below, subtract one from the toughness characteristic of models in that enemy unit. Now, Contagion abilities work as the following. Every, Every unit has, and I'm not going to call it an aura because it is explicitly not an aura ability. It does not interact with any abilities that boost auras. It is its own thing that is functionally similar yet different. Uh, basically, any, everything has a range, and enemy units within that range will be affected in some way. In this case, it's Nurgle's Gift. They get their toughness lowered. First round, that's a one-inch range. Basically, if you're in engagement range with uh, a model with this ability on on round one, you're going you're you get the effect, which in this case is lowered toughness. Round two, it's a three-inch bubble. Round three, it's a six-inch bubble. Round four and up, it's a nine-inch bubble. So by the end of the game, your units will be giving off this bubble of minus one toughness to, like, depending on how much you still have on the battlefield, like, you could be blanketing the the whole field or most of it in this minus one toughness. And that makes the effectiveness of all the weaponry you have, including like your plague weapons where you reroll once to wound way, way more dangerous. Yeah. It's like it, they're very, very deadly uh, getting into combat with uh, plague Marines. Now, like even round one is a risky proposition because for example, let's say you are a, let's say you're like Harlequins. You're a tough three army. You get in to engagement range. Well, now you're a tough two army. They're strength four. They're wounding you on twos and re-rolling ones because they have plague knives. (laughs) So uh, it it does that. Um, Oh, you're strength. Like, I'm strength eight. You're a knight. Oh, well, now you're tough seven. I wound you on threes. That kind of thing. Like, it it adds up. And then as the range gets longer, you can also do things like – because a lot of the vehicles and, like, your rhinos have – have every, ner- every have contagions of Nurgle. Everything except cultists in this in this book has contagions of Nurgle. Yeah, everything. and so <laughs> so like you can you can send up a rhino or a land raider or a, like a fetid blight drone or something, and just have this aura going out. And then like near the end of the game, like you can be shooting at things that are now minus one toughness, just because you've you've managed to catch them in this ever growing bubble of of plague, and. Yeah, that makes this a very, very tricky army to fight against because with a lot of armies, you know, having solid assault art focus, yeah, like mm-hmm. if I'm a Blood Angels army or a Space Wolves army, I don't know if I like tangling with this army is going to be a very different challenge than tangling with like a more traditional chaos army. Right. And then like from a, uh, you know, from a, a, a playing perspective as a death guard player your positioning and how you move units around is 
it's always been important in this edition because of the way like the table quarters and the missions and stuff work, but it's even going to be more important with this army because you have to like space things out to try to maximize the area of the board you're covering with this. So I think it creates some really interesting play, uh, play options. Yeah, absolutely. So then we're going to jump back because they mentioned this briefly on the data sheets about the plague company keyword. So it's kind of like taking a, a chapter or in this case, a sub chapter so the plague companies are something that was in uh, Psychic Awakening, War of the Spider, and it's been brought into this book. We knew it was going to be, and so they have all seven of them available, and they're pretty much the same. There's been some tweaks, but one of the interesting changes to all of them is the fact that their warlord traits used to be these aura abilities. They are now contagion abilities, which means your warlord also has a bubble in addition to Nurgle's gift of an additional contagion that grows and grows and grows and gets larger around them as well. So, for example, the Harbingers, which is the first plague company, the one Typhus belongs to, the warlord trait is Shamble Rot. Uh, Shamble Rot contagion, while an enemy excluding vehicle units is within contagion range of this unit, at the start of your opponent's movement phase, roll a d6, subtracting one if that enemy has the character keyword. On a four up, the enemy unit suffers one mortal wound. On a six, that enemy suffers d3 mortal wounds. So, like, as the game goes on, like, turn three, you've got a six inch bubble of mortal wounds to anything that's not a vehicle around yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and this is also the one that's built around poxwalkers. Like they have a strat that lets their poxwalkers reroll hit rolls in combat. And each of these also has their own relic they can take. I'm not going to get into all of those. Uh, but let's see the inexorable, uh, their, their contagion warlord trait, um, improves, uh, like while an enemy unit is within contagion range, every time an attack is made by a friendly inexorable model against that unit, it's got better AP, uh, Mortarian's Anvil gets Gloaming Bloat. Uh, while an enemy is with contagion range, it cannot fire Overwatch or set to defend, and each time a model in the enemy unit makes an attack, the hit roll and wound roll cannot be re-rolled. Like, that one's huge if, you wanted, if you're going, like, a salty with your uh, Death Guard. Yeah. Which, even though Death Guard is a traditionally kind of slower army, they got some speed buffs. They're, they're going to be moving faster. Faster than you might think. And then because, and also remember, inexorable advances, you cannot slow them down either. Right. <laughs> uh, the Wretched, the fourth plague company, their plague is Eater Plague. While an enemy unit is within contagion range of this unit, each time an attack is made by a friendly Wretched model against the enemy unit, unmodified hit roll of six automatically wounds. That one's okay. I mean, you're most yeah. like, you're going to be wounding a lot anyway, especially with plague weapons. So that one's not amazing. And, Poxmongers get uh, Sanguous Flux, uh, subtract one from leadership characteristics and contagion range, and subtract one from combat attrition tests. So that's the one where if you want to make their armies break and run. Right. Uh, the Ferryman gets the Droning. While an enemy is within contagion range of this unit, at the start of your opponent's movement phase, have that enemy unit's move characteristic until the end of the phase. That one, again, because these are tied to your Warlord, that one's... Like, late game, you might be able to slow somebody down from taking an, an objective. Yeah. But it, that one's probably not that powerful, although there's a strat that might make it better than you think. Yeah, that one's that one's interesting because, like, the late game, 
like movement and stuff with that. Like it's an ability. Like I think it could be very clutch in times to like prevent, you know, late game movement to get an objective or get something done. You know, at to, for end game scoring. But yeah, it seems more situational than the others. Yeah. And then finally, Mortarian's Chosen Sons, the seventh plague company, gets Nurgle's Fruit. When an enemy unit is within contagion range of this unit, each time an attack is made by a friendly Mortarian's Chosen Sons model against that unit, the unit does not receive the benefit of cover. Um, honestly, I think uh, the Inexorable getting the better AP, Mortarian's Anvil shutting down rerolls and Overwatch... And, or Harbingers just having an aura of mortal wounds. Those are probably the best ones off the bat. Yeah. And like I said, each of these has their own strat. Like, uh, the inexorable can reduce two from charge rolls made by anybody charging inexorable unit. You know, things like that. They, you know, they, every one of them has, has an ability that can, uh, key in and kind of gives them flavor. And if you're playing Typhus, it's a, for example, you have, uh, you know, he's going to be Harbingers with all the Poxwalkers. That's probably a good choice. Although, um, he can be in any detachment, like any Plague Company detachment, but he won't get any abilities unless it's the uh, Harbingers. Like, he'll always have Harbingers, but he won't get the Plague Company contagion. Yeah, so it's a lot like the... Um other like named commander rules where like, yeah, they're better if they're in their own company, but they don't prevent you from taking them in other, other plague companies. So I like that. I, I do like that. They don't penalize you for taking Typhus since he is like a really good HQ choice. He always gets uh shamble rot if he's your warlord. So he will, if he is in a harbinger's attachment, he will get that. He'll, he'll get that particular um, contagion going out. Which is really, really nice for him. Yeah, the only thing it's it's one of those where it's kind of better and it's kind of worse because it used to be that any of your uh, Lords of Contagion had effectively the one inch version of that um, Warlord trait. But this is better because you, yeah, it's more limited, but it's also going to get progressively bigger. So if Typhus or your Harbinger's Warlord that gets Shamblerot, um you know, is going to be much more effective with it and is going to be able to hit more units. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, so there's a strat with all those those particular plague abilities that is really going to play into this called Flash Outbreak. Costs two CP. Use the stratagem in your command phase. Select one plague company unit from your army. If there are any other plague company units from your army on the battlefield that have any contagion abilities that the selected unit does not have, then until the start of your next command phase, the selected unit has all of the same contagion abilities. And until the start of your next command phase, units from your army count the battle round number as one higher than the current battle round for the purposes of determining the contagion range of any contagion abilities they have. So for one turn, the the bubble is bigger and like you say like, oh, so my warlord has this contagion ability and this unit does not. Now I'm going to give that unit the ability and it's going to reach farther. So remember I talked about like sending a fetid bloat drone or a, a rhino out earlier. Now, maybe that droning one's not so bad. Because, like, turn two or turn three, you can, like, send somebody out. It's like, okay, now he's got the droning also. So that unit over there is now moving at half and won't get to that objective now. So there, there's some things you can do. Or I'm going to send you out with Shamble Rot. You now have Shamble <laughs> Rot for a turn at, like, three inches or six inches or nine inches if it's, like, turn three. It's like, 
that could have some really, really nasty possibilities. It, you know, it's going to yeah. require some good generalship to, to like move units. And like you said, the movement game on uh, Death Guard is going to be really important. Yeah, which is which is very interesting because Death Guard are traditionally a very like slow moving army, so you have to be you have to be very deliberate with your with your movement now. Yeah, and then going through strats, uh, maybe I I think I may save the other strats towards the end again because some of these like kick off of particular units. You kind of have to know what the mm-hmm. units are doing, and you know we have all the normal like you know here's the extra relic, here's the extra you can give a relic to a. Uh, a champion in a particular unit, things like that. They also do have one for making chaos spawn better. Like you pick a death guard chaos spawn and give it extra toughness and disgustingly resilient. So if you want, if you want to burn a CP on uh, chaos spawn, be, you know, be my guest. The warlord traits. I don't know if you're going to have, like, would you take any of the warlord traits over? I guess it depends on which plague company you're in. Whether you would take the warlord trait or the the yeah. plague company trait, because like now some of these are actually really good. Like resu- revoltingly resilient gives you five up feel no pain again, which I mean that's really good. Hulking physique gives you an extra wound and uh, makes it so that you can't be wounded on anything less than a four. Arch contaminator makes plague weapons better. For everybody within 12 inches. Or it's like, wait, or for everybody within six inches, if they, and especially if they target somebody with a ranged plague weapon in 12, that's within 12 inches. That one's a little bit tricky. Yeah. Tricky to get the wording on. Um, or rotten constitution, add one to your toughness and treat all weapons with AP minus one and a minus two as zero. Which a lot of these guys are in Terminator armor already. You're going to make them really hard to break. So it's like there's yeah. I, like some of these I can see like going for the the plague company contagion is not necessarily a, an automatic like there's some really like, good ones here. Rotten Constitution I can definitely see going on like a demon prince mm-hmm. where you just you know you're making him at that point tough seven and you're basically reducing you know the AP, like you're making his AP better like that's th- there are definitely scenarios where I think you could take these. But really, like, honestly, like, the, most of this, half this table is here literally just to give Mortarian abilities, so. <laughs> and we did mean abilities. Yeah. Mortarian <laughs> is the first character we've seen who has three warlord traits. And he has right. to be your warlord if you take him. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, did, wasn't there a phoenix lord that did something like that? Yeah, Asterman, I think at one point had multiple like warlord traits but i want to say that was like fifth or sixth edition and i don't think it's a consistent thing where he's gotten it all the time but uh i think this is the first time in in a long time that we have seen a uh a three warlord trait and possibly the first time that we've seen a three warlord trait character and he doesn't even stop there but we'll get there when we get to his data sheet but he gets uh he's hoss (laughs) he gets revoltingly resilient so he's not only does he already have disgustingly resilient, so he's lowering damage. He's also got a five up feel no pain. He's got living plague, which means his, uh, if you're within three inches of him, you can't benefit from aura abilities unless they're from psychic powers and arch contaminator. He may like re-rolling wound rolls on all plague weapons or if even ranged ones, if you're targeting somebody within 12 inches, so yeah, his he's ridiculously <laughs> good. 
And again, he has to be your warlord. Um, I will talk about deadly pathogens, though. Yes. Yeah. Deadly pathogens, this is their, you know, instead of having, like, buying a lost character or making somebody a master of the chapter in some way. Deadly Pathogens gives you uh, upgrades to particular Death Guard characters, which it can either be Death Guard characters or Bubonic Astartes with Champion in their profile, so like Plague Champions and Plague Marine units. They all cost between 10 to 20 points. Each model can only have one Deadly Pathogen. You can't use the same one more than once, but they're not considered relics, so you can still have a relic and a Deadly Pathogen. Mm-hmm. Um so you could do things like uh, improve the armor penetration of, let's see, and you actually apply them to plague weapons. So it's not just like the character has it. So you like take a plague weapon. So you could have a plague weapon with a better AP or a uh, plague weapon that does additional hits or one that does mortal wounds on a wound roll of six. Or, you know, it could ignore cover. Uh, if you any enemy models are destroyed by attack, roll a d6 and a 4-up. The unit suffers a mortal wound. Or uh, do extra damage to vehicles or re-roll the number of attacks. So I, it's really just going to come down to, like, what weapons. It, these are not must-takes by any means. Yeah. But, like, they're nice abilities to have. Yeah. They're nice little upgrades. It's one of those cases where if you've got a... Uh, it, it, like, if your army building has come out where you have, like, 10 to 20 points to spare and, like, maybe you've got all the poxwalkers you can take and you don't quite have enough points to slot in another Plague Marine, uh, maybe take one of these on a character. They're uh, they're not a bad if you have the space. Yeah, because I, I do remember that in the past that being a problem with this army is that you'd wind up often with 10 to 15 points available and, like, there wasn't great choices. There wasn't a lot of, like, great choices to fill in those gaps. So, yeah, having having these available to kind of soak up some of those extra points uh, and for nice upgrades are, uh, is, is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Relics. Uh, we have a lot of the same old ones. Fan favorite, the separating plate is still in, although it's been toned down a bit. It's still a two-up armor save, but... Instead of uh, possibly inflicting a mortal wound on a four-up every time you make a save, which with some lucky rolls could just melt the person who was fighting you, um, now it's like after all the attacks have been made, if you lost any wounds, you roll a d6 on a two-up, the unit the unit that fought you suffers a mortal wound. It's yeah. way toned down. Uh, it's, it's, def- it's not the auto-take that it used to be. It's still good. Yeah, it- it's still good. It's it's more consistent, but it's more toned down. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. I, yeah. On the other hand, with some of the aura, not contagion abilities, remember, but with some of the aura abilities that other units have, uh, Figaris' helm is a, is a uh, popular mm-hmm. choice because uh, th- adding three inches to some of those auras is pretty good. Um, I mean, Tollkeeper... Uh, can is something a tallyman can take to allow units within six inches to uh, do additional uh, hits, kind of like the uh, that contagion and that deadly contagion specifically does not stack with uh, tollkeeper. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's stuff like that. You know, it's not. I don't think again, separating plate is not a must take anymore, and that's good. You want to have that be something that is a good choice, but not the best obvious choice. Yeah. And like the the nice thing about it too is because of the way this and we'll get into it, I'm sure getting into it next, but the way this army is designed where you can't take like multiple um 
you know, lords of death guards, you have to kind of take sorcerers and some other HQ units, as well as like being able to take the, those elite units separate. You could actually make a case for spinning the CP to get extra relics and taking like the separating plate or the, you know, the Fulgur's helm and like the putrid parapet, which is, you know, the sorcerer specific one or the toll keeper or, you know, the one specific for the uh, foul blight spawn. So it's kind of interesting that there are a few specific upgrades for different units. So, um, you know, that you're going to include in this army anyway. So it, it might actually be worth it to spend, uh, spend the CP to upgrade those characters. Yeah. Um, psychic powers are very similar. Uh, there's most of them function more or less the way they did before. Uh, the, uh, warp charge has changed in a couple of cases. Some went up, some went down a couple of note, uh, gift of contagion, which was the one that had like a random chart that you rolled on to see what penalty was applied, uh, has been streamlined. It's first off, it's easier to cast. It's warp charge five. Uh, the unit that's affected automatically subtracts one strength. And if the result of the psychic test was an eight up, they lose a strength and an attack. Yeah. They no longer lose a toughness, but then you've got so many, like this entire army can make you lose toughness. So that would just be mean. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, look at those tough one uh, Eldar over there. (laughs) Yeah. Um, (laughs) Blades of Putrefaction, the one that made your, uh, that gave you plus one to wound. And then, like, if Plague's Weapons did uh, seven up to wound, you could do uh, Mortal Wounds. That one's gone, but instead yeah. it's been replaced by Curse of, or by Gift of Plagues. Uh, Gift of Plagues, Warp Charge 6. Uh, if manifested, select a friendly Death Guard unit within 18 inches of the Psyker. Doesn't specify vi- visible to, just has to be within 18 inches. Until the start of your next Psychic Phase, add six inches to the uh, range of any Contagion abilities that unit has to a maximum of 12 inches. <laughs> which i mean round three that's that would give you a 12 inch bubble of minus one toughness which could be a bomb move um i'm not gonna get too much into uh crusade rules although i do like the fact that they have the ability to make your own specific plague but I, the rules on it I found to be a little bit clunky because there's this whole thing with virulence points and mm. and like you have to contaminate a unit and then the unit has an effect while it's contaminated. Like the enemy unit has an effect while it's contaminated, but then there's a condition that causes the contamination to go away. Uh, it's not elegant. <laughs> it's kind of yeah. neat. And for Crusade play, it's probably fine. You know, it, it's... It's not something that's obviously not going to show up in competitive play, but it it seemed like a clunky and unclear system. I had to look around several times to figure out what virulence points I, were even used for. I, yeah, I imagine they'll probably clean it up like as it goes forward, but it's a nice, neat first step. Um, yeah. Speaking of things that no longer appear in competitive play, and I'm kind of glad, the Chaos Boons table is now Crusade only because... Nobody used it. Like, I, it never came up. Like, it's, it was just an extra clunky thing. It's a cool fluff thing to have, like, where you can, like, kill something and explode into a demon prince or something. But, like, ah, it doesn't need to be in the main game. Well, and now <laughs> it's like, if you want to explode into a demon prince, that's not a random thing. You have to have accumulated three boons, and then you can spend a requisition point to just swap that unit out for a demon prince. Right. 
much it's so much, much cooler. better like uh, yeah uh it's and i'm i want to play more crusade and i think it's a really bomb thing to do in crusade but i am so glad it is not part of the core book anymore <laughs> yeah um and and i wonder if we're going to see that carried over when chaos marines get their update like I, would, I, would, I would think so, yeah. Yeah, so I, uh, I think this kind of gives us a little bit of a peek into the design philosophy going into the standard Chaos Marines. The other thing that – and there's not really a great p- place to point it out, so I'll just drop it in here. Um, summoning is gone from this book, too. Yes, as are all the demon entries. Yeah. So you can no longer summon in demons, and I, I, I absolutely think that is also going to carry over to the Chaos Marine Codex. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. If you want demons, you're just going to have to take a demon detachment and call it good. Yeah. So, but, like, it's it, still it, available, like in Crusade, where you can do things like become a demon prince and stuff like that. So, like, it's still in there and it's still part of the army. But for competitive play, it's it's not. You have to like take that as a separate thing. Which, yeah, again, cleans um, it up and makes makes the design closer to what GW wanted it to be. Yeah. Agreed. And I think we also see that – I think reinforcement points to an extent might be going away somewhat or at least the utilization of them because we're going to see that with poxwalkers as well. They finally fixed the entire problem of, well, what happens if my poxwalker unit goes above starting size? Do I have to have points set aside for that? That gets addressed. Um, also, one ability and all the stuff I've talked about with like the unit abilities and warlord traits and things like that, you'll notice there, you may notice that there's one thing that's missing. And I haven't mentioned Hateful Assault, the ability that they got in War of the Spider that was the replacement for shock or their equivalent of shock assault, where you get an extra attack when you charge. Yeah. You know, charge, we're charged, or heroically intervened. That's gone. They do not have a- access to that. But I've also noticed that almost every unit in this book that is a, uh, you know, like a Plague Marine, Bubonic Astartes, etc., has an extra attack or more. So it's like it's been just worked into the design of the units themselves rather than yeah. as an ability that they trigger. So, And honestly, I, I'd rather have the extra attack across the board than, than only get it in certain scenarios. Death Guard's going to play very defensively, even though they can get out and they can do things and movement's very important. They important. They are still very slow compared to other uh, Space Marine armies. So they're going to get assaulted a lot. And we're and yeah, you, with Hateful Assault, you'd still get it the first time if you're assaulted. But you're going to be locked into combat a lot because your units are not going to go anywhere. Like, they're all tough five across the board. And you're going to be locked into long assaults. And so it's better to actually have that extra attack across the board than it is to just have it for that first unit. Because like, unlike Blood Angels or Space Wolves, where when they hit a unit, they want to hit them and blow through them and move on to the next unit. Death Guard want to get in and kind of stick with that assault and be there for a few rounds and tie things up. Yeah. Yeah. And they, yeah, they definitely are going to stick around. Something else that I noticed that I, I, I didn't notice it was missing at first, but I read something that pointed it out. Is that death to the false emperor is also missing? Oh, interesting. Yeah, they do not get a, they do not get the exploding uh, hits on sixes against Imperium, hmm. and I think the reason for that is actually on the very very first page as you open up the codex. Forget no insult, my sons, as I have never forgotten those of my father of the emperor nor those of Horus. <laughs> they hate everybody. <laughs> <laughs> 
I don't. Th- I don't think Mortarian cares. He hates everybody equally and encourages his sons to do the same. So, uh, but again, you have the extra attacks built in, and it's no longer an ability that only helps against one out of every like three armies. Okay, so now we're going to get into actual data sheets. Um, there's been a lot of small changes here and there. Obviously, Disgusting Resilient is more omnipresent. Contagions of Nurgle is available, as you said, throughout the army, except for cultists. However, uh, like, for example, let's start with the Demon Prince. Uh, the Demon Prince's aura has changed. A, it only affects core units. B, it only affects core units of their plague company. It's not even just Death Guard core units. It's their specific plague uh, plague company core units and third it no longer affects nurgle demons yeah because demons are just no longer in this book <laughs> right so it also means you don't have automatic synergy by running like i'm gonna run death guard and nurgle demons they don't necessarily interact the same way anymore uh, but it is still lets you re-roll hit rolls of one within six inches of them and that is the lord of the death guard ability and that has been given to all the lords of the death guard now so like your like right. typhus has that your lord of contagion has instead of that the aura of if you're too close to me you might take a mortal wound maybe it's now now they have parity with like space marine captains and such yeah i i do like that <laughs> also the uh the death guard demon prince his uh the wings don't let him go as fast anymore. He only goes 10 instead of 12 with wings. I still think wings are a good choice, but that does give you a little bit more flexibility where it's not always going to be the, the bestest choice points wise. Yeah. Also the uh, demonic axe and Hellforge sword got better because they got the power, the power weapon treatment. So their strength went up by one and also the Hellforge sword gained an extra AP. So now with, oh, and also he got two extra attacks. So the demon, Death Guard Demon Prince with a sword has six swings at strength eight, AP minus three, three damage on a weapon skill of two up. And then his, then still gets one more hit swing with Malefic Talons, which are also only AP one instead of two. But the sword it, with the extra attacks and the sword or the axe the, that are just so much better, you won't like there's no reason to take the double talons. Yeah. Uh, uh, but otherwise, yeah, the Demon Prince is still a good choice. But again, because you can't lo- you can't double up in a detachment between a Lord and a Demon Prince, you're gonna have to kind of pick and choose where you go. Yeah. Well, and I kind of think that it actually because you can't take both. I kind of think unless you're going with something specific like Typhus. I think he's kind of a better choice now because you get all of the benefits of a Chaos Lord with all of the benefits of a demon prince. So like, I, I kind of think that in some ways he's, it almost, th- th- that restriction almost guarantees that you're going to take at least one demon prince in every death guard army. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. I, well, I mean, it, it, he's a really solid choice. Uh, Typhus now has an extra attack mode on his man reaper. He can uh, cleave yeah. or scythe, which makes him killer against hordes because he also got two extra attacks. So with his scythe, he is uh, he is swinging at strength five, AP minus one, one damage, 12 attacks, and at weapon skill two. And again, you're minus one toughness because you're within an inch of him at that point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're doing terrible things. Uh, his cleave mode actually got less accurate because it's uh, minus one to hit now. 
but uh, I like him having the flexibility there. They also finally made the ho- the destroyer hive not crap. <laughs> yeah. It, it instead yeah. of being the stupid like it's a pistol but worse. It's now just a six-inch aura of you pick an enemy unit on a two-up, they take D3 mortal wounds. Yeah, it's much better. In the command phase also, so it's... Yeah, because that that would stack with his uh, Shamble Rot, where you'd get that in the command phase and then Shamble Rot during during its phase. uh, Yeah. That occurs... Yeah, that occurs during the movement phase, so you'd actually get get to double dip on mortal wounds. Right. Also, he has a, a three-inch extra range to Contagion Village, so he's got a four-inch bubble starting out with, or to start with. <laughs> so a four-inch bubble of Shamble Rod, if he's your warlord. Typhus always has been and continues to be a great choice. <laughs> oh, yeah. Also, one other thing you may have noticed. His movement went up by one. He no longer has his uh, advance, and tr- or advance range. Mm-hmm. Because of cataphracty armor, that rule's just gone. But he still has the four up and vulnerable from having cataphracty armor. Yeah, he's just way better. Like he is just a mutt than he was before, and he was already a good choice in general. Because we saw this in the Space Marine Codex as well. It's cool to have like the when they had the rules for cataphracty and uh, I forget the other type of Tartarus Horus here Tartarus. I, it's neat to have this difference between those, but I like the fact that they've simplified it where it's like, no, it's just Terminator armor. Like, this is Relic Terminator armor. It gives you this. Just, it's all the same. And then now you can be like, take whatever Terminator armor looks cool and make, an, you know, make, make guys with that. And like they, and you see that with the, uh, when we get later into the, the other Terminator units, like they, they are now basically the same as well and they don't have the differences. Yeah. Uh, the Death Guard Chaos Lord and Chaos Lord and Terminator armor are no longer crap choices yeah. because they have disgustingly resilient and, and you know, dis- uh, contagions of Nurgle. Like, they have all of the same abilities of everyone else in the army, which is great. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it just changes up effectively, like, what armor choice, what weapon choices. Uh, and even, like, the difference between the Chaos Lord and the Chaos Lord and Terminator armor, besides the the weapon options, is a wound and an armor save. They have the same invulnerable save. They have the same abilities otherwise. So it really comes down to, like, how do you want to make them slightly tougher? Like, how do you want to build this out? It, it's The flexibility is nice. You're actually going to see non-Terminator, non-Demon Prince HQs, and that's awesome. <laughs> Agreed. We've got the new boy, the Lord of Virulence, uh, who is also basically a Terminator. He's he's kind of like a mid-range, close-range Terminator, because he's got a twin plague spewer and a plague claw. So he's like all plague weapons yeah. all the time. And having a heavy 2d6 plague weapon that auto-hits he's is gonna get terrifying. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, so he's interesting if you take him as a Harbinger as well and give him Shambhorat, because then all of a sudden you're doing all sorts of damage to close when you get close in. Oh, yeah. And then uh, he also has an aura of when a friendly Plague Company core unit is within six inches of the model. Each time a model in that unit makes an attack, a ranged attack with a Plague weapon. So you're going to, with him, you want to go Plague Belchers, Plague Skewers, Blight Launchers, etc. On Mm. on an unmodified wound roll of six, the AP gets one better, which is fine. But, uh, again, you just, with him, you're just getting lots of, another flexible choice. A plague, a plague marine, uh, a plague weapon power fist is useful in and of itself. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Uh, and then we've got the good old Lord of Contagion who can have 
either the uh, the Plague Reaper, which is the axe that the guy in the original, like the Dark Imperium box set had, or you can have the Man Reaper and Orb of Desiccation, which was from the uh, easy, like easy build Lord mm-hmm. of Contagion. Uh, so uh, you can build either of those with this. Um, and again, the Man Reaper has the same kind of attacks that Typhus has. Yeah. And the Orb of Desiccation is like a one-shot plague weapon grenade, which okay. <laughs> yeah, it was it was on none of the it was on one of the the easy builds, so they had to include it. <laughs> right, but at least you know it's supported, so yeah, yeah. that's fine. Um, the Death Guard Sorcerer and Terminator Armor is your only non-plague caster sorcerer option. All Death Guard Sorcerers have been rolled into the Malignant Plague Caster now. Yeah, I like that. Which, which is unfortunate because, like, I have one who's modeled with a uh, force sword, but he's in regular power armor. Not an option for the malignant malignant mm. plague caster. So I'll have to change out which sorcerer. And thing is, your sorcerers are the only of these characters we've talked about so far that do not have Lord of the Death Guard. So if you want to make a battalion, you have to take a sorcerer or plague caster. You have to. Yeah. Because literally every single one we've been talking about so far has the Lord of the Death Guard rule, which means they won't play well with others. Then we get into Plague Marines. Uh, they are still an extremely flexible troop choice. Lots of options. You know, the the main changes is they got an extra wound and an extra attack each. They're great, and you have to take them now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, okay, I take that. You don't have to take. You don't have to take them. As long as you have other core infantry units, which could be Terminators. So you could take, right. like, you could load your elite slots with Terminators and then take all Poxwalkers as troops. I wouldn't necessarily, and I think Plague Marines, you know, Plague Marines are definitely a cheaper choice than Terminators, and they're still very tough and resilient. They have lots of weapon options, uh, and lots of, lots of Plague weapon options now as well, so... They're a solid infantry unit. You won't go wrong by using them. Yeah. Uh, cultists are crap <laughs> in this in this codex. Yeah. They're just not, they're not meant for this codex. The one thing they can do is they could you can use them for cheap action filler. Yeah. Yeah, like it, it's I view them as a cheap filler option. Like they're they're they serve a different purpose than poxwalkers. They're not as good as poxwalkers. But they have the ability to throw out shots, and they have the ability to perform actions. So I could see, I could see taking a unit to hold objectives, do actions, things like that. But yeah, they're not; they're really more of an afterthought. Yeah, Poxwalkers, on the other hand, uh, we were wondering how they would change because Disgustingly Resilient was changing, and they only have one wound each. Well, they don't have Disgustingly Resilient anymore, but they do have Unending Horde, which gives them a six-up feel no pain, so they can still shrug off some wounds. But they did. Their toughness went up by one, which helps. Their weapon skill got better, and uh, they still um, they ignore uh, morale tests. They just automatically pass it. They do have Contagions of Nurgle, which lets you have a big blob of guys giving off plague. And then uh, Curse of the Walking Pox has been changed. They can only replace slain members of the squad. So, like, whatever you started them out, like, so you start with a squad of 20, they'll never go above that. But if they kill somebody in melee other than a monster or vehicle, you can add a model back. Also, they can't perform actions apart from one special one 
in uh, that is available just to Death Guard, which we'll talk about at the end. Um, also, in Crusade, they never get experience. They can never have battle armors. They automatically pass out of action tests. So, I mean, they just, they are there to just have bodies on the field. They don't even, but they do have obsec, which helps. Cultists do not. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, they'll sit there. They're not at, they're not quite as resilient as they were before, but there's just a, you can just take a lot of them. So that basically they, they'll survive by numbers. We're going to get into the elites, uh, which is basically these are your, your fetid virions. So three of these in a slot, because again, they want you to save those elite slots for terminators. Uh, some of them, like there's a few, few updates of note. Um, like the foul blight spawn, the plague sprayer uh, is no longer strength 2d6. It's just strength seven. And it's, no- mm. and it's also, uh, damage two instead of damage three. So. Uh, again, m- kind of taken down from an auto-take to uh, pretty good, but you could put other things in if you want. Uh, on the other hand, the uh, the tally man, I remember thinking, okay, the tally man's cool, because he lets you get CP back. And then he never did, because you had to roll exactly 7 on 2d6 every time <laughs> you used a strat. Yeah. It ne- I, I can probably count on one hand, on one finger probably, the times that worked out for me. Well, you didn't bring him enough bananas. I apparently did not. Um, <laughs> but instead, now, just at your command phase, you just roll 2d6 if he's on the battlefield, and if you rolled a 7 or better, you get a command point. So now, yes. on average, you're going to get 2 to 3 command points per game out of him. He's a much better option now. Uh, and then the Plague Surgeon also got a bit of an upgrade, because before, he made your disgustingly resilient rolls better which obviously is no longer a thing. So instead, uh, at the end of your movement phase, if there's a uh, bubonic Astartes model within three inches of it, it heals D3 wounds. I like that. Which, like, put him near a unit of Terminators, because they're going to be three-wound units, you know, three-wound models, and give him Fulgaris' helm and make that a six-inch aura. (laughs) And uh, you can keep one of those units of uh, Terminators going for quite a while. And then also he has a three-inch aura uh, for Bubonic Astartes Infantry of uh, six-up Feel No Pain. So again, put the helm on him. That's a six-inch bubble of Feel No Pain. So uh, the Plague Surgeon becomes a, is a much better choice in this army now as well. So I think you're going to see some cha- you know, some shifts on which of these is taken. And again, these are all fetid virion, so three in a slot. Uh, Terminators, they don't have a lot of abilities, but they are tanky as hell. <laughs> Yes. Because, <laughs> like we said, their movement went up. They're no longer slowed down by having cataphracty armor, but they still have, they're still two up, four up, tough five, three wounds each, three attacks base on Blightlord Terminators. And with Contagions and Nurgle, so they're shrug, you know, they're reducing the damage automatically. Or, or, yeah, with Disgusting Resilient, yeah. They're like Blightlords are really, really solid. Uh, point wise. They start at 40 points a model, which is pretty comparable for Terminators. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think you won't go wrong by taking a unit of them. Uh, Death Shroud are not as good as they used to be because they used to be all about like defending Death Guard characters and taking wounds for them. And now it's just like, oh, yeah, if there's a character and he has less than nine wounds and he's within three inches of us, you can't shoot at him. Which is like, yay. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I. Uh, on the flip side, I do think that they're you know they got the abilities with the man uh, 
the Man Reaper. Sorry, I want to make sure I said that correctly. Um, <laughs> yeah, please do. <laughs> that could go really wrong really fast. <clears throat> yeah, they got the the new abilities with the Man Reaper of being able to do the sweep attacks. So again, like a unit of three to five of these things taking could wipe out a horde with you know uh, twelve attacks a piece, <laughs> like or not twelve, eight attacks a piece. So and you know they're plague weapons and and. Uh, two up weapon skills. So like they're going to do, they're going to get work done against smaller units. Yeah. Uh, the one thing the death shroud terminators do have going for them though, is the, uh, the chimes of contagion. It's an upgrade you have to pay 15 points for, but I think you would because it gives them an extra three inches to their contagion range. Mm-hmm. So again, it makes them, you can make them into a, a debuff unit. And have them like side by side with other Blight Lord or with like Blight Lord Terminators. The Death Shroud are more expensive, but they're also smaller units. So because they're generally well, started they're, at three, they're fifty. Yeah, they're fifty points base, but I don't think you have to pay for any of the upgrades. Because like uh, I, you know, other than the chimes, and if you want to add yeah. an extra like Plague Spurt Gauntlet, which is their pistol flamer. Yeah. So so really like once. Once you kit out a Blightlord Terminator with, you know, the weapons you're going to take with them, they're comparable point-wise, I think. That, that's true. I The, the Blightlord Terminators, I think, are just going to be generally the better. Ch- they're, yeah, yeah, they're definitely more flexible. But, like, I, I can see mix and matching, but Blightlords are probably the ones you're going to s- skew towards. But, like, I mean, Combi Bolter and Bale Sword is what they start with. Um, the bubotic axe is a free upgrade. Really, it's only when you start adding combi weapons or like the flail, mm-hmm. or like like you could add a reaper auto cannon things like that. But like if like you could just take them stock, and they're still going to be a very effective unit. Yeah, definitely. Um, the hell brute. They think they finally got this right too. Because <laughs> they, crap. they f- <laughs> it's not crap. Um, so first of all, they got an extra attack, which is always good. They have. They do not have disgustingly resilient, but they have monstrous resilience, which is the exact same ability, right? Um, but also, they finally fixed. Like, how do you do a crazy dreadnought? And, you know, you always had the issue of, oh, the dreadnought's gonna act in ways I can't control. And you know, they they made it less bad over time to where like last edition was. Oh, on a a six, it's automatically. It's just gonna. If it takes takes any wounds, it might get a free shooting attack, or it might get a free f- pile in and fight. Maybe, possibly. Now it's just like, oh, if it if it ever has seven or fewer, so if it's taken any damage throughout the entire game, it rerolls wound rolls on its uh, any attacks, close combat or yeah. shooting. Much better, <laughs> much better. And it also has contagions of Nurgle, which is fantastic. So. Uh, Hell- Death Guard Hellbrute is actually a viable option now, so that's good. That was a unit that you never saw taken because it didn't have any of the benefits of being Death Guard. <laughs> um, possessed are better. Oh, and I just realized this. I didn't notice this, but Possessed are also core, so they yes. also count Possess- as core core infantry units. Yes. Core Bubonic Astartes infantry, so you could also... You know, they'll also increase the number of cultists and box walkers you can take. Um, We've talked actually we've talked about these before because they had released that uh, their attacks were no longer a random. Their attacks are no longer random. They got they got more toughness. They got more strength. Their what their attacks are now plague weapons. Uh, Their movement is seven. So like they're actually 
you know, and they have a stock five up in Vaughn, like on top of disgustingly resilient and the, the plagues of contag- uh, contagions of Nurgle. So like they're a useful unit now, which is good because you never saw them before. <laughs> the one problem they have is that uh, the various transports that Death Guard can take, uh, they can't fit in Rhinos. They basically act like Terminators. They take up double space yeah. and they can't fit in Rhinos. So they're a bit harder to transport. And if I'm going to take a Land Raider, I'm probably going to want to take Terminators for it if I'm going to transport them. But well, the, like, the counter for that better, is the but, they have, It's like they're better but worse in some way. Yeah. Well, the counter is that they have Movement 7 now. So like they're able to move. They did before, too. And, Oh, did they? Okay. Mm, yeah, they always okay. had movement seven. Yeah. So I was like, at least with movement seven compared to like, because that's two inches faster than everything else, or a unit faster than, uh, it's basically two two inches faster than anything else in this army from a perspective of like plague marine units. So they are faster and then they don't have a, a shooting attack so they can just, you know, advance. Um, so they, they can still book it. But yeah, you're right. Like not being able to go in the transports was a weird choice. Yeah. Um, Chaos Spawn, the only real change to them is that their attacks are now 2d3 instead of 1d6. So they have more attacks on average. That's good. Yeah. And uh, they're, but their hideous mutations are pretty much the same. Uh, and all like all their random stuff is the same. But they have Contagions and Nurgle, so uh, you're rarely going to see them. Uh, Blight Haulers got an extra wound. And they lost a lot of the abilities that... Uh, would make them like, oh, if there's three of them, they get an extra weapon skill. Or if they move, they don't suffer any penalties for movement. Well, no vehicle suffers penalties for shooting if they move. And their weapon skill and ballistics go one up by one automatically. Yeah. Because no now, longer the- do demon engines have to suffer that stupid rule that they've had <sighs> since, like, fourth edition. Yeah. So friggin' glad that's gone. <laughs> <sighs> so, so, Blight Haulers are... Like, they're a little bit tougher, and they're now basically the wheeled version of bloat drones. Because bloat drones lost a wound, but now that means they're the same t- strength and toughness and wounds and attacks as a Mephitic Blight Hauler. Which also means at nine wounds now, bloat drones don't degrade. <laughs> yeah. Which I think is a fair trade-off for losing that extra wound. I always thought it was weird that they were not quite the same. Yeah, like, it, felt like, like they they felt like they would be like more similar. Yeah, yeah, I agree. But. Also, they have an interesting variation of the explosion rule because they have like putrid explosion, which is like every other explodes rule except that they explode on a four up instead of a six up, which they did before. But now the units, any units around them. You know, they take a mortal wound unless they're Nurgle units. Nurgle units do not take a wound from them exploding. Which means you can yeah, be hanging like out that. with them and no risk at all. Yeah, I like that a lot. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, like both of them, the, the weapon skill and ballistic skill, went, you know, got better to three up. They each got an extra attack. I mean, it's basically blight haulers and bloat drones. Like, bloat drones have fly, that, but they have the same movement. They have 10-inch movement, so not you know, it's not like one's faster than the other. Um, and it's really like blight haulers are the ranged option. Fetid bloat drones are generally the close combat option. Yeah. They're both viable choices. They're great. And then, uh, we're getting near the end. Plague burst crawlers. I mean, they're still good. The entropy cannon got so much better. 
Because <laughs> it went from Into a the D6. Canon was always good. <laughs> it was always good, but it went from D6 to D3 plus 3 yeah. damage. <laughs> I mean, that's that's great. <laughs> and, and you know, it's like everybody used to take the... Uh, like there were some people that took entropy cannons, but a lot of people just took the the plague spitters because it was just kind of it was the stock option. And hey, if somebody got close to it, you had like good Overwatch defense. Well, because Overwatch is an automatically thing now, entropy cannons are actually a pretty good choice. Counterpoint to that though, uh, because of plague spitters on your bloat drones and on the plague burst crawlers, and the fact that if you take a tallyman, you're getting you're regenerating CP and you're getting extra CP throughout the game on top of the other CP that like just the way the game works. Uh, this is one of the armies. This is the first army that I could really see you spending that, uh, the CP to do overwatch like as often as possible, because you've got several good units that are really good and really devastating in overwatch. Cause the plague spitters, uh, for example, are, you know, assault D six and you have two of them. So like it's, you're going to do some damage if you do use, when you do use overwatch. Yeah. Also, the Rot Hail Volley Gun went from uh, Heavy 3 to Rapid Fire 3, so that's a huge difference. Mm. It did lose an AP, but I think that's a fair trade. Yeah. <laughs> also, the Entropy Cannon has one other thing going for it that it didn't before. It's a Plague Weapon now. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't remember if it was a Plague Weapon before. It no. was not. Um, it was not. So good. Yeah, so it's, it's expensive. Uh, that's the reason why that mostly didn't get taken. Um, it is currently... Well, also page. it wasn't taken because it, you were taking it on a weapon skill four vehicle or That's a ballistic skill four vehicle. Now it's a ballistic skill three. <laughs> it's it's five extra points now. It used to be like 30. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, I was I was not expecting it to be five extra points. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I need a moment. <laughs> oh my god! Okay, yeah, I take back everything I said. You're dumb to not take it. Um. <laughs> okay, well, actually, sorry. okay. So to be fair, okay, it's five points extra. The difference between in the pre in the old Eighth Edition Codex, the difference between them was the Plague Spitter was seventeen and the uh, Entropy Cannon was twenty. So it was three points oh, okay, more. Okay, fair enough. So yeah. it's it's not. Yeah, you know, it's still though. Like looking at it, it's like I could take it stock, or for ten uh, points, I can make this thing kill all the things at range. Right. So oh I, you you're still allowed to have your moment. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, so good. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, land raiders, predators. I mean, these are pretty much the same things as they've always been. They do not have disgustingly resilient. They do have contagions of Nurgle. Otherwise, they are pretty much like their space yeah. marine equivalents. Um, defilers also did not get disgustingly resilient, but they did get the weapon skill, ballistic skill buff, which is really good for them. They do have infernal regeneration. So while they don't reduce wounds, they're also the only one that get wounds back automatically during your command phase. Yeah, and I don't think they had that before. I could be wrong, but I don't think they had Infernal Regeneration. So that's a that's a new thing. They did. They did. Oh, they did? Okay. But uh, honestly, though, the Defiler's still not a bad choice. It's... Yeah. And, yeah, 72-inch range blast cannons, always good. <laughs> right. And also, again, 
without the penalty to weapon skill, ballistic skill, and with no penalty for moving and shooting, the Defiler is a fantastic choice. Yeah. And it doesn't compete in slots against, like, the Blight Haulers, Bloat Drones. It does compete with the Plague Burst Crawler, but, uh, let's see, point-wise, it's the same co- base cost as a Plague Burst Crawler, so you're... I would still probably lean towards a Plague Burst Crawler, but if you wanted to play a really aggressive, uh, like, a salty army, it's not a bad alternative. Yeah. Well, and you do actually have some extra range with it, because the... the Plague Burst Mortar's only 48 inches. It's uh, an indirect fire weapon, so you don't have to have line of sight. But the Defiler can 72 inches. So it it is it does provide a little bit more range. It's yeah. It's basically the same profile, except the Plague Burst Mortar is a plague plague weapon. So like that's a little bit better. But like, yeah, they're I think they're comparable now. And like the Defiler is a little bit more of a, of a Swiss army knife that can do a few extra things. So it's really just kind of, you know, flavor to taste. Yeah. And then the Rhino is, is a Rhino. We all know Rhinos. And then Morty himself. Ah, geez, Rick. (laughs) So so besides the fact that he has to be your warlord, if you take him, uh, but in, in exchange, he gets all the abilities. Plus, at the start of the first battle round, so you don't have to do this in army building, but at the start of the first battle round, select one of the following warlord traits. Shamble Rot, Ferric Blight, Gloaming Bloat, Eater Plague, Sanguinous Flux, The Droning, Nurgle's Fruit. If that list sounds familiar, that's because those are all the Plague Company warlord traits. You cannot select a warlord trait another model in your army already has. Until the end of the battle, this model gains the selected warlord trait in addition to any others it has, even if it's not your warlord. So he has four. (laughs) He has four warlord traits. (sighs) (laughs) Also, he counts the battle round number as being four for the purposes of determining the contagion range of the contagion abilities it has. So he always has a nine-inch aura of one of those abilities. Let's see. He has Lord of the Death Guard, but he he does not have the Lord of the Death Guard keyword but he does have the lord of the death guard ability so you're re-rolling ones around him he has primarch of the death guard which is like a chapter master ability pick a unit they can re-roll all their hit rolls within six inches he does explode if he dies but it doesn't affect the nurgle which is actually pretty much what he had before yeah he has a four up in vuln uh he's going to have that that five up feel no pain because of his warlord traits his stat line is he gained an extra attack because that's what he needed <laughs> he gained an extra toughness now also. He is tough eight. Yeah, that's that's immense because now he's a lot more survivable. <laughs> also, tough eight and uh his toxic presence, that extra the nine inches of contagion ability is actually two inches more than his old toxic presence, which was just the minus one toughness aura at seven inches. So now he has that aura plus whichever one he picked from host of plagues. <laughs> he's still like his psychic like he's still a psychic power machine. Silence is his uh, scythe is basically like a man reaper, except now his eviscerating blow instead of being D six damage is like an entropy cannon. It's D three plus three. So he's doing more damage consistently there. The lantern, his plasma pistol, the one where you draw a line actually got weaker because it's only a 12 inch range now. Mm, that's fine. That's fine. I think that's fair. The the lantern was always kind of a secondary thing with him anyway. You're like, oh, yeah, I have the ability to shoot. I guess I might as well do this. Right. (laughs) 
But, I mean, a lot of his stuff is the same, but, man, with, like, Contagions of Nurgle and the, like, the four Warlord trait, he is he is easily the, and with, going up to tough eight for him is huge. Yeah. Yeah, because all of a sudden now he is just that much more harder to hit. Like, because he could be, what would happen when I took Mortarian is he would either be focus fired off the board turn one. Or he would last the entire game and just rain devastation on the board. Like, there was never an in-between. So now, like, at tough eight, and with some of the extra abilities he has, it feels like no matter what, even if he is focused fired, he is going to last at least a turn or two. So, uh, yeah, he seems like he's much more of a of a, of a a good weapon to take now. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, otherwise, like, he, he degrades the same way. His movement drops to eight inches at the bottom. He loses, like, his attacks drop the same way. But again, he's got the one extra attack built in. Uh, he's, yeah, he is just an absolute beast. And, yeah, whereas we talked, like, with Necrons, like, the Silent King being like, well, the Silent King's not an auto-take. He's a really good choice, but he's not an auto-take. And Mortarian's not an auto-take because he's going to be a big chunk of points. And he is a Lord yes. of War. He is a Supreme Commander, so you don't you can take a separate detachment just for him. He's four hundred and ninety points. I mean, he's knight level points as well. He should be because he is now knight level toughness, knight level. And yes, he has fewer wounds than a knight, but he's going to take less damage than a knight. Right now, I feel like his survivability got a huge boost in this edition. Oh yeah, there's a the difference between. Tough seven and tough eight is gigantic because that that puts you where like anti like dedicated anti vehicle weapons now only wounds you on a four instead of a three. Yeah. And those weapons are going to do one less damage to him automatically and he can still shrug it off. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's going to be fun to play <laughs> play with. He's going to be a, he's going to be a nightmare if you're playing against him. But <laughs> right. And then finally, we have the Miasmic Malignifier, which is their new uh, fortification, uh, which has Disgustingly Resilient and is Tough 8. <laughs> so <laughs> it's going to be hard to crack. Um, it also has Toxic Presence, so it has a 9-inch bubble of Contagion. Death Guard infantry units within 6 inches of it get light cover. If they already had light cover, then the there's an additional – or well, then there's a, a minus 1 to hit applied to them on the attack roll. Um, and then you can place them anywhere on the battlefield more than 12 inches away from the enemy deployment zone and any enemy models. And then after you set it up, you can then set up a pox furnace uh, within six inches of it. The pox furnace uh, becomes a terrain feature with light cover, heavy cover, unstable position, difficult ground. Uh, and because both of the uh, models are going to have the same abilities, I mean, that's uh, some big bubbles of contagion of minus one toughness that you can set up yeah. ahead of time. And they're 75 points each and you get the, the pox furnace for free. So, um, or I guess maybe the pox furnace doesn't create that bubble. I don't know. Um, uh, yeah, it's a good question. Um, I think it's just, I think it's just an extra terrain feature for light cover. Okay. Or with like with light cover with you know, and it, it makes it um light cover, heavy cover, unstable positions, difficult ground. So I think it's just more like obstacles. Okay. 
the yeah, the malignifier is going to be your main the main thing you're yeah. worried about. But being able to just put a bubble of minus one toughness, everything within nine inches, that's huge. Well, and then there's also um, putrescent fog. When a friendly Death Guard infantry unit is within six inches, it receives the benefits of light cover. Like that's also really cool, just to be able to like throw out a bubble of light cover. Yeah, yeah. And then it still has a six, like if an enemy unit gets within six inches, it has an auto hit, basically uh, strength four, AP minus one flamer with 2d6 hit. So it's like, like it'll, it'll mess with horde armies. It'll, it'll cause issues for um, like more elite armies that are moving forward because now suddenly they're hitting a a bubble where their toughness is not as, not as tough as it used to be. And that can have a huge effect. I mean... This is this is a really powerful force multiplier by making all your stuff just that much deadlier, which is totally in line with this army. Yeah, and I could definitely see like you taking because um, I'm trying to remember in the in the terrain detachment how many you can take because I, I it never comes up, but I could definitely see you taking one or two of these and like dropping them near objectives because it makes it a really difficult for your opponent to get there because they're auto taking damage when they get there. And so they have to like destroy this tough eight thing with disgustingly resilience, or it gives you buffs when you park a unit of pox walkers on there, for example, because you put them next to it. Now all of a sudden they have their, their six up feel no pain and light cover. So they don't just get shot off the board when you look at them. Right. Um, so like, I, I think this, I think again, cause you kind of play this army a little more defensively than you would some other armies. I think things could be a very valuable terrain feature that you will actually see on the table. Um, the only downside being that you have to take a separate detachment for terrain and you're already going to be taking multiple detachments. Right. But it is at least the same faction as your other detachments. So it doesn't cost you any command points to take, which is nice. Right. So, uh, and really like, I don't know if you'd take more than like, I could see an army taking, a Supreme Command, obviously, from Rotarian. Um, I could see patrols or battalions, depending on how many HQs. Like, if you want to roll multiple Lords lords of the Death Guard, I could see taking multiple patrols rather than one battalion. Um, you're not going to see brigades. You just don't have enough, real, really enough HQ choices to make that viable. Right. And it'll just get too expensive. But I think you could definitely find space to slot in a uh, a fortification network. Yeah, and the fortification network lets you go one to three on fortification. So if you if you take the splurge to to buy, to spend a a slot on a fortification network at seventy five points apiece with all of the benefits, I see you either taking. I I can see a lot of people taking two or three of things um, because they are like such a valuable force multiplier. Yeah. Like if you're gonna if you're gonna drop in and do that fortification network, you want to maximize it, right? And one of the other things I think that you know. Yeah, we've pointed out that, uh, you know, contagion abilities aren't aura abilities. That means none of those abilities that shut off aura abilities work on these at all. So, yeah. like, you don't have to worry about, like, oh, I've got a strat that turns off uh, aura abilities. Well, it doesn't affect these. So, yeah, you could easily create, like, you could create a line of that covers, a like, all, if you took three of these, I mean, it's 225 points, but you could basically set up a line like at the edge of your deployment zone, that is just a nine inch, like just a solid nine inch band of, yeah, you, if you get near here, which you're going to have to, you're going to take minus, you know, you're going to be at minus one toughness. That, that's yeah. huge. 
Yeah, I, I definitely think I definitely think this is probably the first like the first uh fortification that we've seen, like faction specific fortification that we've seen, where yeah, I, I think you could build this into the army and like it be like a key part of your army like i think it can you could really build this and build really cool uh things around it um that make your army a lot better like the other fortifications seem like neat add-ons but this seems like the first one that really synergizes well with the army itself the sisters one isn't too bad the battle sanctum because it does mm-hmm. give you extra miracle dice but uh, yeah, yeah this, i think it's, the, it's but, a lot more expensive though too that's the it thing. is it is this one is 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 definitely one I can see slotting in much more easily. Yeah. All right. I'm going to jump back to page 44 for strats real quick. Now that we've kind of seen what the army does. Um, some of these are kind of like, we've seen strats like them before, like trench fighters gives you your plague Marines extra attacks with their plague knives. Uh, creeping blight, uh, lets your uh, plague weapons do become AP minus four on a wound roll of six. Ooh. So they kind of get like a blade storm effect. Uh, Hell Brutes get a Fire Fever strat that uh, adds one to their hit and uh, wound rolls when they shoot, as long as they only shoot at one thing. Vermid Whispers for Terminators. Uh, select when a Death Guard Terminator unit from your army is selected to shoot, or when they're selected to fight, add one to their hit rolls. So, again, like, your Terminators needed to be better. Um, right. <laughs> Haze of Corruption. This one is actually really useful for your multi-damage weapons. Uh, lets your the wounds spill over to other models, the way mortal wounds do. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> and the the other the units that spills over, they specify do not get a save against it. It just the like if the damage happens, it happens to to the next guy over as well. Uh, Eternal hatred, which is kind of like vermid whispers, but it's for any bubonic in, uh, Stardis infantry, and you add one to the wound roll. Uh, Mutant Strains makes your Poxwalkers uh, potentially do mortal wounds and also potentially take mortal wounds. I think that one's hilarious just because, like, Poxwalkers, like, again, like, the whole point of Poxwalkers is they're garbage. So, like, making them have that, like, double edge, like, oh, yeah, you do this thing and it's good, but maybe it's bad. Like, that's that's really funny to me. (laughs) (laughs) This one I find interesting, Diseased Effluence. You pick a Death Guard character unit that's, and then an enemy unit, like, pick one Death Guard character model, except for demons, so it just has to be one of your lords, and then an enemy unit with an engagement range. The model that you pick takes a mortal wound, and then you roll a d6 on a 2-up, the enemy unit suffers 2d3 mortal wounds. Mm. Unless they're a character, and then they suffer d3 mortal wounds. I cut myself and bleed on you. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's, uh, pretty, machine, that's pretty hilarious. Machine spirit units, which I think is just the just the land raider, they can uh, act at full wounds, kind of like all the other machine spirit stuff. So it's nice to see that their machine spirits behave the same way as everyone else's. Finally, right? Yeah, I think it is just yeah, it is just the land raider. I couldn't remember if the annihilator or the predator had it, but yeah, or the yeah. So it is just the it is just the land raider. Um, and then we like some of the other strats. Uh, if you really like Poxwalker's dead walk again. Uh, select a unit from Poxwalker unit from your army. Roll seven d sixes for each three up. One of the units destroyed models is added back to it. So you talked about you know camping uh, some Poxwalkers near a uh, the malefic magnifier or malignifier, miasmic malignifier uh, on an objective. With this, I yeah. mean you can only target a particular unit of Poxwalkers once per game, but 
you could just keep that unit going for a long while with that. Um, Cloud of Flies, you know, you know, still makes a unit untargetable. Although it gets very expensive if you try to target a Terminator unit, costs four CP. Oof. But again, but it, it that's probably the, that's probably that's right. Fair. <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> uh, you know, they have you know strats for blight haulers, bloat drones, demon engines in general. Uh, demonic, yeah, you can, your demonic, your demon engines can heal from, uh, destroying enemy models. Nice. Um, we talked about flash outbreak, uh, putrid detonation. That's the one where you can just make your vehicles explode automatically. It does cost more if the vehicle had more than nine wounds. Yeah, but a lot, but again, as we talked about the, like the bloat drone dropped to nine wounds. So you've got more options for under nine right. wounds now. Uh, let's see. Then we've got like then you get to the war gear strats, smoke screen, same as like space marine smoke screen. Blightning makes your uh, blight grenades better for a turn. Overwhelming generosity. I just love the name of this one. Uh, makes your plague weapons have an extra six inches of range. Uh, virulent rounds gives your uh, bolt guns plague weapon. Nice. Which for a turn and then. Uh, you can make your plague burst crawler mortar fire better, and possibly take mortal wounds. Um, so, yeah, that. And then, like, finally, I, I did say I was going to say this till the very end. The 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 match match play missions. You get fleeting vectors under no mercy, no respite. Uh, score three victory points at the end of the battle round if any enemy units failed morale tests this battle round. That had one or more models destroyed by attacks made with plague weapons this battle round. This one's very finicky. Uh, you do have some yeah. abilities that can lower leadership, but I this one is like you've got. Fortunately, you have lots of plague weapons. That's not a problem, but it just it's worth a lot yeah. of victory points. But I guess if you can just make one guy one unit break, that's fine. But it's it's going to be tricky. Despoiled ground. Uh, if you select this objective, score victory points as follows, and this is under battlefield supremacy. Uh, four victory points at the end of the battle if you have one or more bubonic Astartes units wholly within your opponent's deployment zone, and one or more wholly within your deployment zone. Uh, four victory points at the end of the battle if you have them within three wholly within three different table quarters, and they're more than six inches away from the center of the battlefield. Six victory points if you have them in all three or all four table quarters instead of just three. Score four victory points at the end of the battle if you control more than half the total objective markers on your battlefield, and there are bubonic Astartes units from your army within three inches of each of them, and then score vic four victory points at the end of the battle if every objective marker on the battlefield is within contagion range of a contagion ability that units from your army have. I think this one's a very easy one to take. Yeah. Yeah, because I think you're going to have enough of these units, and by the end of the game... You're going to be spread out enough because you want to be spread out with your with your uh, contagion abilities. So yeah, yeah, I, I think this one just naturally falls into what you're going to be doing anyway with your army. Yeah, and then spread the sickness. This is one the one that Poxwalker, the one action Poxwalkers can take. Um, all your Death Guard infantry units in your army can perform the following action. Uh, one unit from your army can start the to perform this action at the end of your movement phase if it's in three inches of an objective marker that has not been contaminated. A unit cannot start this action while there are any enemy units, excluding aircraft, within three inches. Um, the action is complete at the end of your turn. When this action is completed, you can choose one of the following. 
Roll 1d6 on a 4-up that objective marker is said to have been contaminated, or the unit performing the action suffers d3 mortal wounds and the objective marker is said to have been contaminated. Score 3 victory points at the end of the battle for each objective marker on the battlefield that has been contaminated by a unit from your army. <laughs> so, uh, this one is interesting because... Like the pot, like poxwalkers. If poxwalkers take some mortal wounds, you don't care. So you can just like auto auto contaminate. Other cases, yeah. that four up feels like like if I take an action to score victory points, I kind of want those victory points to be automatic. Yeah, that's fair. Um, D three mortal wounds might not like if you're lucky, it won't kill a plague marine, but it probably will. And remember, this is not an attack, so disgustingly resilient would not lower it. So, like, are you willing to sacrifice, like, a Plague Marine or potentially a Terminator to score three points? Yeah. And that four-up is not something you can re-roll with, uh, with a command point because the command point re-roll strat is very specific about what rolls you can re-roll. So, um, really, I think that that Battlefield Supremacy one is the one you take out of these three. But it's it's one that just automatically fits your army. And then the uh, we did say that cultists can't take actions, right? Uh, cultists can. A cultist can. Okay, so like that's the other thing where yeah, cultist. Okay, cultists can. So that's a that's another one. Like another reason to potentially take cultists if you're trying to go for this and just spread out and you know contaminate objectives. Like that's because that's another unit that you're like I don't really care if I take the de- 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 you know mortal wounds to convert. But yeah, it's. Yeah, I agree. I don't think it's quite as useful as the the the, the spoiled ground one. Yeah, I, th- I think the spoiled ground's the the definitely the best one. Although, does, you know, the spoiled ground is also specific about it being bubonic Astartes units, but not yeah. infantry. But that does mean, let's see, like your vehicles are mo- like your demon engines are not, but your most of your vehicles, like your your rhinos, your like your Hellbrutes or Bionic Astartes, Possessed are, Blight, you know, basically anything that's not a Demon Engine or a uh, Cultist or a Poxwalker yeah. is going to be Bubonic Astartes. So, so it like, it might change up how you build because like your Plague Burst Crawlers and your uh, like Defilers are not going to be like, so if you think, oh, I'll just camp this guy in back and he'll count. No, you have to have an actual unit. So. But depending on how, like, if you build your army, that's a max of 16 points, which will actually cap out at 15 because it's a secondary. But it seems like that, like, board control is a really solid, you know, really solid build for this army. So I kind of yeah. think it'd be a, it'd be a good choice. Yeah, like I said, it just, it seems like it naturally fits with what you're wanting to do with your army anyway, because you're going to want to kind of fan out to, to maximize your contagions and, and to cover objectives. And it's going to take you, time to be able to move across the board anyway so like i think you're going to be very deliberate with your movement and i think that kind of just i think this just synergizes with that very well agreed agreed so yeah in the end i like the army has it it changes up how it plays but for good reasons like it it the army is going to play faster because you're not going to have all that extra rolling that you're going to be doing it's a deadlier army because of the the toughness penalties it can inflict it's even though it lost disgustingly resilient i think overall with the extra wounds and some of the other things going on it's a it's an equally resilient if not more resilient army 
I think you're encouraged to take units that you might not have. And it's like people were taking Blightlord Terminator. But yeah. I think you're more likely to take them, especially now that the the support characters have been kind of lumped into three in a slot. Uh, you're going to change up how your HQs are taken. Mortarian was already a good choice. He's a great choice now. Um, the fortifications are good. Uh, a lot of the, the, the demon engines got better. There's lots of different builds potential potentially with this army, which is great. That's what you want to see. Um, the, I think the internal balance of this book is really good. Um, we'll have to see how the external balance plays out, but I think Death Guard are going to be a they're going to be a, a very competitive army now, and I think that they'll be I think they'll be a lot more fun to play. And I also think that, like you when you get those Death Guard versus Death Guard battles, they're not going to be the slogs of attrition that they were before. I think you'll actually see units potentially dying. Yes, which yeah. which is nice. Yeah, they're not. They're they're more resilient. They're in some ways they're more resilient, but they're not like invulnerable. Like so, yeah, I think you're going to see more of a steady like decrease in things dying. But they're overall like an individual unit might actually last longer. So yeah, I I I, I like this design. Yeah, I'm pretty I'm pretty pleased with this design. I think I think it's it's overall a, a much it it's. It's better, and it's definitely been one where it doesn't suffer from being, like, the early codex of 8th editions. Like, they've taken what they right. learned in 8th edition, they've applied it to 9th edition, so it's it's got more parity with, like, other like other command characters that are going to let you, like, reroll ones and things like that. Yeah. Having that ability across the army is, or across the characters is a really good, but also the way they've built it, so you don't just, like, flood the field with that. By putting the limits on how many you can take, which is similar to the limits on like, hey, you can only have so many captains in a space marine army, stuff like that. So uh-huh. it's fa- it's fair. I just wish I wish they had more characters in the HQ slots. I wish they had like a lieutenant uh, equivalent or maybe an yeah. additional sorcerer option. That that's like the one thing I'd think I'd like to see. But I, you can work around it, whether by taking yeah. patrols or using like blight collars or stuff stuff like that. Yeah, definitely. But I, I'm happy with it. I'm looking forward to when there's when it's possible to play again, uh, taking my Death Guard for a stroll. And it's encouragement to finally get my Mortarian built and painted because <laughs> he's really, really good. Death Guard has always been a fun army to play. Like, they've always been rewarding because even when they weren't top tier, like, they were always strong enough that you never felt like you were just getting steamrolled in any game. So, like, they always kind of kept you in it. And this just feels like they tweaked some things and made it made it better. So, it's still going to play similarly. You don't have to, like, throw out your strategy of what you're doing before. But I do think that it's kind of um, – it's kind of become a general's army where like if you're really smart with your movement and you're really smart with your placement, you can do a lot of really cool tricks and, and, and synergies. Yeah. And, uh, there's some really good, I'm going to again, point people to Goonhammer because it's just a fantastic site. There's been some, uh, really good, uh, commentary from like Don Hoosen. On uh, mm-hmm. playing playing Death Guard, isn't he from the Phoenix area? He is. He is from the Phoenix area, and he has consistently been one of the like top Death Guard players, like in in the country. Um, yeah, he's he's really smart, and he's really he's really uh, astute with how this army plays. So, yeah, definitely read read the, his articles, and uh, he he has some really good insights. 
Yeah, and like they brought him in for like their Codex review. They've got a link to a video where he does an interview with Heritage Wargaming USA on his thoughts on the new army. And uh, I think he's also got an article on playing Death Guard with the new Codex. You know, not just a unit by unit review, but you know, looking at like how he would like what what strats would he focus on, what secondary objectives is he going to play, what li- how would he build his lists. So, uh, yeah, that this is a, you know, he's, he is a, he is a major source of, of tactical information on death guard and tactical expertise. So definitely check those articles yeah. out. I'll put links to them in the show notes. Uh, so, so you can get kind of an expert's take on, on this army, but, uh, he, from what I'm seeing, he's very happy with the updates. Yeah. I know there's a lot of doom and gloom about the changes to disgustingly resilient, but I think, in totality, I think that the that this is a, a boost in power for him, and I think they're yeah. going to be a really a really good army and a really fun army to play. Agreed, absolutely agreed. All right, so from there we're going to move to hobby progress. Um, I haven't gotten a lot done over the last. Oh, sorry. Uh, so before we slip into hobby progress, uh, Warhammer, since we're recording this on Sunday, the community preview for next week went up, and it is death. Uh, it is Dark Angels all the way down. Um, oh, so next hey. week the Dark Angels Codex, um, the Dark Angels Combat Patrol, which I'll do the same thing and you know get that included for the episode. The Storm Speeder three variants, the multi-part Blade Guard veterans and Primaris Eradicators, and the Psychomancer from the Necrons. So the oh, other, slick. the other unit of Necrons that I forgot hadn't been released yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so a lot of stuff coming in. Uh, I guess you know two weeks. Because uh, next week they'll go up for pre-order, and then yeah, we'll have a we'll have a Dark Angels Codex soon. Awesome. So uh, that'll yeah, Super Bowl Sunday we may be looking at Dark Angels. So yeah, and a Chiefs Super uh, Bowl uh, with any luck. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, so hobby progress. I finished my first ten witch elves. I'm really happy with how they turned out because, and one of the reasons I'm glad I. I st- I did uh, like daughters of Cain is one thing I've always been very nervous about painting is skin tones. Um, And like, I, you know, obviously paint a lot of power armor. I paint, you know, Tau, I paint sisters. I've painted like death guard and yeah, you know, death guard, black Templars, Empress children. I've painted iron hands and like, I've even painted like I've painted some orcs. I've painted uh, Nurgle and Slanesh demons, so like non-human skin tones. Like I don't have any problem with those because they don't have to look anything like realistic. <laughs> but uh, you know, witch elves have a lot of skin showing, and it's it's meant to be in you know more standard skin tone, and so and also faces, lots of faces. So these are things I have generally been very nervous about painting. And I finished up my first batch of 10. I'm very happy with them. And I got over a lot of my fears about doing faces. And uh, like one of the things, eyes. Eyes are always one of the big things. And you don't technically have to paint eyes very carefully if you don't. When you're like, if you're doing tabletop quality, uh, you know, people are not generally going to see the eyes of the model. But I kind of wanted to push myself on these a little bit. And I've actually, like, I've got my pupil placement down. And one of the tricks I've learned to painting pupils is you do not paint a dot. What you do is, you like, you shade in the the eye socket 
you put a thin line of generally off-white. If you put pure white in, it's too bright. <laughs> like it's it's off-puttingly mm-hmm. bright. But like I use like an Ultha gray or something like that. And then uh, take a very fine brush. So this is something that takes takes a little bit of practice of, of your fine control. And but you don't have to draw like like long lines. Like you don't have to be like a freehand master at this or anything, because I'm definitely not. Um, but get a little bit of paint on your brush. Make sure you don't have too much excess because you're going to go very lightly and you just draw a vertical line and you draw a vertical line a couple of times because like you'll draw it once and it'll be faint and you just kind of, and that gives you a chance to make sure you've got your placement right. Cause if you don't, you can just go over it again with the off white. But once you got it placed, then you just draw that line like two or three times in the same direction each time and you'll have pupils like, and so um, I managed to get my my uh, my witch elves looking like they had not been licking toads. So, and I got, um, and I did my like the skin tones. I made sure to work in like I, using a wet palette really helps because uh, gradients. It's really easy to to get good blends of different. Like I can put like three different tones of skin tone and then blend them together on the palette and then use that and just kind of build up build up my colors gradually. So it's one of these things that they take a little bit longer, but I also started them off really easily by using Gilliman, like thin down Gilliman flesh contrast paint over, over like a light gray or uh, primer for the base skin tone. So like I already had all my shadows in and everything on that went really fast. And so I could basically just work on smoothing them and doing a little bit of highlight. So nice. that, that, that helped quite a bit, but I'm really happy with how they, uh, Finish how they turned out. I'm moving on to uh, f- ha- like five of the ten sisters of slaughter. I have. I've got them all up on uh, painting handles, and then I do have the sister on the new painting handle that I'm gonna. That's actually the next model I'm going to do because I said I was going to do that last episode. So now I'm I'm ready to do that model on that uh, that handle and give that a try. So uh, and then after that, I'll probably I've got more sisters of slaughter to finish up. And then uh, figure out what the next thing on my painting. I've got l- way too much on my painting list to work on. So, <laughs> uh, so kind of along that same route of like too many things on your painting list. Um, I have been um, inventorying a lot of stuff over the last couple of weeks because, uh, and you know, I don't want to go into the details, or whatever. But I'll be moving uh, later this summer, so I'm going through and. Uh, organizing like getting getting all of my models ready to like box up and like find out what uh what KR foam I'm going to need to order and uh you know what the status is for everything so like what's primed what's not painted what's what needs to be painted what's half painted needs to be finished and I have an embarrassingly long back catalog but uh yeah that's kind of what I've been doing over the last two weeks is just uh inventorying and like boxing up the stuff that I have I was able to when I when I went and ga- uh, picked up the Death Guard Codex. One of the stores had a uh, Nightbringer model, so I picked that up because he is impossible to find. So they actually had I think two or three on the shelf because they they got lucky when they ordered when they reordered. So I have a Nightbringer. I haven't uh, even begun assembling them yet, but that's all I've done. <laughs> Well, I'll go with you on the having lots of models in a paint catalog, which I don't even look at or think about anymore. I'm just – whatever I'm going to be playing soon, 
that's what I try and work on painting. So, um, <laughs> thus I, I'm still on the Warhammer Underworlds kick because I can do that with a couple local people here as opposed to going to like a store or anywhere out or anywhere. So I'm, I'm still looking forward to when this is over and I can play 40k again and getting big games with lots of people. But I know that's in the future. Um, but yeah, I did make another stop by the Citadel and have a new model to put together. And that is a nice Telemon Dreadnought. Nice. Awesome. So I am excited about getting it put together. And then, well, when the weather gets warm, because it's not entirely warm enough down here yet. Um, getting it primed and then put together and painted. And um, yeah, I because I, I, I really think Talents of the Emperor is probably going to be what I start with out of the box or out of the gates when we start moving forward again. And nice. for me, the the only thing I have uh, really done is uh, I I picked up a, an Illuminator Zeris model and am again not looking forward to putting together like I, I've heard spindly. that that new Zeris is twitchy. Yeah, to put he's a, he's a spindly beast. So, uh, but other than that, I haven't I haven't gotten around to doing anything lately. So I'm going to drop this into chat. No, none of the listeners will be able to see this, but I'm going to share with you all because I've been I track my painting projects on Kanban Flow, and I know we've talked about doing like project organization like this. So this is my Kanban Flow. Every one Oof. of those colored bands is a separate like unit. <laughs> now that last <laughs> column there, that's the done list, but that's like everything that I've done over the last several years <laughs> you have a lot more so, on the done I, list than i do <laughs> so the first column, i still do not want to even look at the, my list <laughs> the, the blank column is the units i want to buy yet unit <laughs> which is you'll notice it's empty because i'm like i have wow. enough uh number two is what i have purchased number th- three is what i have assembled four is primed fifth is being painted sixth is done and they're all color coded by like army or in some cases game. And this is I had to zoom to make the whole thing visible on one screen. And you'll notice there is a scroll bar for the done list there at the end. I had to zoom out to twenty five percent text size. The thing I don't understand though is there's only like six factions on here. How that doesn't make sense. No, there's one, two, three, four, five, <laughs> six, six. Okay, there's six factions of forty k. Two factions of Sigmar, one that just covers other games in general, which is mostly bolt action at this point, and then a right. miscellaneous, which is like terrain and things like terrain and Necromunda and Blackstone Fortress and stuff like that. I'm not going to share my inventory list with you guys because it's kind of embarrassing, but uh, I split it out by faction, and like by faction, I mean like Imperium, Space Marines, Chaos, etc. And I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 different tabs on that spreadsheet. <laughs> so again, as we've, as we've discussed, we have problems. Yes. Now, yeah. like, like one, of st- one of the, ta- one of my tabs is just chaos. Like, <laughs> now, which is I will easily. S- yeah. <laughs> I will say like some of the, okay. Some of the stuff is obviously like stuff I've, I've purchased like uh, my Tau stuff or a lot of my blood angels stuff. Um, some of like 
some of it is stuff that we've received in like box sets or things like that. Like uh, my Stormcast Eternals are mostly the stuff from the Soul Wars box, although I've added on to it a little bit with other easy to build sets <laughs> and like like all that. Like I started with Necromunda stuff because they sent us the Necromunda. Bo- I know these like podcast problems, oh, but it's the worst. But thing is, like once it get once you get started down this path, it's like oh, but then I want more of the stuff. I'm like, I, I, I should stop. <laughs> what? Never ends. <laughs> I just hear, I hear my partner yelling from another room. Yes, you should. <laughs> nope. <laughs> well, that's why I said the to buy list is empty. <laughs> that's why uh, I, don't, I don't, I don't really buy much anymore. Anyway, uh, so phew, I feel crushed by crushed by my painting <laughs> painting log so let's 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 feel a bit better let's switch to the morale phase and uh, i want to talk about something that is relatively brand new it just launched uh two weeks ago there's three episodes yep. out and that is wandavision on disney plus um and uh this is an odd show it is it, super it is, odd <laughs> it, it is wonderfully weird yeah. yes so um Basically, this is about uh, Wanda, aka the Scarlet Witch, and Vision from who we last saw in um, Avengers: Infinity War and Avengers: Endgame. And for some reason, Wanda and Vision, who um, are, is the spoiler moratorium on Avengers: Endgame over yet? I believe so. It's been two years. <laughs> okay. And technically well, three and years since Infinity uh, War, uh, so. Uh, yeah, and that was mainly Infinity War where that happened. Yeah, right. so um, uh, for those of you who may not be aware of how the Marvel movies go, Vision died by having part of his brain ripped out of his head by Thanos near the yeah. end of in- Infinity War. Uh, and he, he didn't die to the snap, so he didn't get brought back when uh, Hulk snapped everybody back. He's dead, dead. And yet he and Wanda are back, but they're back in like sitcom land. And I mean that quite literally. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and what's what's interesting about this. Uh, so there's there's a channel that uh, you may you may get locally called uh, Antenna TV and they basically play just like a whole bunch of old sitcoms. And so. Like that's one that sometimes my partner will put on late at night, and it's it's stuff from like the forties, fifty, or you know, well, not maybe not forties, but like fifties, sixties, seventies, eighties, um, and and eventually nineties, and so you get to see a lot of like old sitcom tropes and the way like old sitcoms, like not not just stuff like Bewitched that everybody knows, but like even like really obscure stuff, and. They've got the visual language. They, they've done three episodes so far. The genre, like the decade that it takes place in, keeps shifting. Yeah. Because, like, the first one is definitely set in, like, the 50s. The second one is definitely early to mid 60s. And then the third episode is late 60s, early 70s, to the point where they switch yeah. from black and white to color. Right. Uh, and that is actually a thing that is part of the plot of the show. But uh, well, they've it, got the visual language of it right. It looks the way those old shows looked and feels. The, 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 the writing is intentionally campy in that kind of way. 
Yeah, like they do it with like the 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 obvious things of like the four three aspect ratio, you know, on the older scenes. Um, anytime that Scarlet Witch or Vision use their powers, it's all like practical effects. Like it's all wire movement to like move things across the screen and stuff like that. And it's that kind of if you've ever like Bewitched, like specifically, or I Dream of Genie. If you've ever seen like one of those shows where like she's waving her hand and moving something across the screen. Like it moves in that kind of like herky jerky. Like this is clearly a wire thing that we went in and fixed later. You know, it's not the smooth CGI, but at the same time, they're letting the facade crack a little bit at times. So like there is a scene where vision has to use his actual powers. And when they do that, it's the glossy, like modern CGI. Of him using his powers and, and doing the thing. And like, they're, 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 they're doing the, the, they're doing the good version of like what Pleasantville did. <laughs> and yes. I, and I enjoy Pleasantville, but Pleasantville is a movie that is very, very, very on the nose. <laughs> um, <laughs> they're doing the subtle version of that where it's like, oh, this is the idyllic 1950s sitcom world. But there's slight bursts of color that let you know something else is going on. There's, you know, it's fun sitcom land. And then a character does something that is like Lynchian and terrifying. And oh, God, what's going on? And this is a show like to a degree with like a show like The Mandalorian. The Mandalorian could be like a series of movies. You could do that basic story as like a movie or multiple movies. WandaVision's the first, like, especially Marvel show, where I'm like, this can only be done in a TV episodic format. You cannot do this story in a movie. And I'm really digging that, that this is like, the people that are doing this show are very clearly have a love and a respect for classic sitcoms, and it shows through in every part of the show. Uh, and that's really cool. But as you said, Lynchian, as in David Lynch, is a <laughs> very good way of examining kind of the the r- uncomfortable wrongness underneath it all. Like you can tell it yeah. feels like a like as things go on, it feels like a veneer and there's something more going on. Um, uh, Movie Bob, Bob Chipman, has a really good uh, uh, essay that he did recently, and I'll, I'll link the show notes on this as well, about – David Lynch in regards to WandaVision and, and kind of more just like a an overall look at David Lynch's uh port you know his his past portfolio. So you're and just going to call out my sources like that like it's no big thing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, it just means we means we have the same sources cuz we you know we follow yeah, the same yeah. people. But uh but no, it it does have that feel like it it has that sense of something is wrong the way something like a, a Twin Peaks does. Um yeah. the we're only three episodes in the mystery has not been spoiled in any way. It has yeah. not been fully unraveled, although there's obviously things going on. I don't want to spoil any of it there. And yeah. even what I could tell you so far doesn't make a lot of sense in context yet. We're still figuring out the context, but obviously not everything is as it seems. And who's in control of it is also unknown at this point yeah yeah deadpool (laughs) maybe (laughs) this will be a show that'll be incredibly fascinating to go back once it's all finished and rewatch and pick out 
the clues to what they're building towards. Because at this point, like, we're very much in it, and I, I very much don't know what's going on, and, like, what details are important and what are red herrings. So, uh, yeah, it. this is a good show. This is a really good first, like, show out the gate for Disney+, Plus, for yeah. Marvel's Disney+, Plus stuff, so. Right. And, yeah, there's, there's a, a whole lot of rumors about what may be coming down the pipes and who may be showing up. Like, there's a couple things that are confirmed – like, uh, I like, well, again, I don't want to spoil too much, but, uh, Randall Park's character, the FBI agent from, uh, Ant-Man. uh from Ant-Man and the Wasp is confirmed to be in the cast as is, uh, Kat Dennings as Darcy from the Thor movies. Yeah. So how that plays into it, we don't know. They haven't shown up in the series yet, but there's also a lot of rumors about actors who have not been confirmed who could be showing up. Um, we do know that it's going to tie into the whole – apparently there's a big multiverse thing that they want to do with like phase four of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which also may tie in – it's going to definitely tie in with the Doctor Strange movie. That's been confirmed. Uh, it may also be – may tie into – because I think Doctor Strange is supposed to show up in the upcoming Spider-Man film that also has some yeah. very interesting casting confirmations. So – there's a lot of weirdness about, and there's a lot of unknowns, and it's really fascinating to watch this happen in kind of real time and see what's going on with it. So I kind of like not knowing where this is going to go next. <laughs> yeah. Now, be, like being right in the middle of it, there's infinite possibilities. And if you know anything about Scarlet Witch from the comics, literally infinite possibilities because she has – she kind of has the Superman ability to like do anything that the comic book writers want her to do. Right. Um, so there are there are infinite possibilities at this point as to where they take this, um, and I'm 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 here for it. I'm definitely enjoying the absolutely. Ride. Yeah, I I definitely am looking forward to like every Friday. And again, they're not releasing. I think this this would fall apart if they released it as a in a bingeable format. I yes. think rolling this out week by week is absolutely the right call for this one. Um, well, and I like was a, just like it was for so, the Mandalorian too. Yeah. Well, and, and it also helps where like Disney Plus is because in general, like Disney Plus announced their first year, like subscriber numbers are like 78 million or something. And then basically from this point going forward, they plan on releasing a either a Marvel or a Disney or a Disney Star Wars show every Friday for like the next two years, because once WandaVision ends, then it's. Uh, then Falcon and Winter Soldier, then Loki, then Book of Boba Fett, then The Mandalorian, then Hawkeye. And like the idea is to basically keep the content train rolling on Disney Plus and release one episode of something every week indefinitely. And uh, I'm here for it. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's almost like having TV versions of comic books at this point. You just like look forward yeah. to that new new episode or issue coming out like the next week. So it's 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 fun it's it's enjoyable and it's and again i'm really happy that like even series that are released like on netflix in bingeable format we've generally been very careful about not binging it to let it kind of yeah. draw out and it does help build that anticipation and it kind of has also kind of an old tv feel of looking forward to what happens next week so well, like a, a good example of the the difference between those is season four of the expanse first season five of the expanse Amazon released all of it at once, and season four, while it was very, very good, 
it came and went. People talked about it for a few weeks, and then that was kind of it. Season five, they're releasing it in a weekly format, and it's part of the pop culture conversation every week. And it's it's lingering around a lot longer. And I think from you know a viral marketing perspective, that's much more ideal for a lot of these uh, for a lot of these companies. And I think it's just better for like entertainment, where like you can focus on watching all the episodes and really take in the season rather than like hurrying through it so you don't get spoiled. Yeah. Uh, one last thing I'll say about uh, WandaVision is pay attention to the commercials because there's some weirdness oh, yeah. going on there as well. <laughs> and yeah. again, we have no idea how that's playing into everything also. So, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I think that pretty much uh, wraps up our episode. Yeah, this has been episode 231 and uh, 232. It looks like we've got Death Guard. Uh, or not that. Yeah. Dark Angels. And, yeah, sorry. Dark me, Angels. So, yeah, and so episode 232, it looks like we're going to have uh, Dark Angels to look at. So the Codex flow keeps on flowing. But until then, also remember, if you want to get something in for our 10th anniversary episode in April, now's the time to start thinking about that. So we've told you how to send us those uh, letters or audio clips, and uh, we look forward to hearing from all our listeners as we prep for that. But until then, from all of us here at Preferred Enemies, I'm your host, Rob. Kevin. Dennis. And Richard. Good night, good gaming, and... Bless you. Preferred Enemies is an Undergopher Radio production and is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 3.0 Unported License. Our theme music is Metal Slug 2 Super Vehicle 001-2, No Need to Reload, originally by Takushi Hayamuda and remixed by Roataka, courtesy of OC Remix. It can be found at ocremix.com.